Hey, Stephen, this is Ineash. Hey, Ineash, this is Stephen. Have you read the, done the assigned reading? Shoot, that was today? That was today. Oh, man. You know, I finished it a week ago. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> we're, we're recording two days later than usual, so... Yeah, uh, I'm really proud of you with the whole not reading ahead thing. The several people in the Discord are already, like, dozens of chapters ahead now. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I'm stoked for them. Uh, it's, like, they, they don't have as really, like... They don't have nearly as much incentive as I do to not read ahead. Like if I read ahead, it would spoil the, the thing, right? So exactly, we're doing a show. I, I can, I can sit in delicious anticipation for a few days at a time. So hell yeah! All righty. Well, uh, do we want? To, oh no, there is some high level stuff you want to do to mention first, right? Oh yeah. Okay. So first off, nothing to do with the show, but uh, I'm feeling rested and energetic this time because the day before yesterday, I had like the somewhere in the top five worst headache I've ever had in my life lasted like 10 hours. And I was up until like six 30 in the morning. It was insane. So I took off uh, Wednesday from work and I slept for two hours and that was it. And then last night I slept from like 10 to eight and I'm feeling great today. So I am rested and ready to rock and roll. And I had an idea for a Patreon reward. Yes. So I feel like this is definitely uh, the kind of thing that, um, <laughs> All right, so it, it's it fits with my brand for this kind of show. Um, I was thinking that when we hit twenty five patrons, um, that is not twenty five dollars. That's twenty five different people. Yeah, and I want to want to space it out that way, just so like because I, I might do this for every twenty five we get. In fact, I'll just, uh-huh. I, I think I'm fine with that. For every twenty five we get, you know, unless well, yeah, uh, if, if 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 we get so many in- increments of twenty five that this becomes a problem, that's a good problem to have. That's true. So what I'm going to do is I will write a pitch meeting um, that Enosh and I will record for every 25 patrons that we get. Um, I think it makes sense. I've actually been writing them in my head ever since I had the idea. I think nice. it makes sense for you to be the pitch guy and I'll the, and I'll be the executive, the producer guy. Sure. Because you're the one pitching the book, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So we'll we'll both do our best uh, Ryan George impressions, and I will do my best to write a really funny script. So that will be our every 25 patrons re- uh, reward. Um, was there any other high-level stuff I wanted to add? Uh, well, I just want to real quick mention that we currently have three patrons, so we are more than 10% of the way there. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, the other thing was the everything is a clue spreadsheet, possibly. Oh, yeah. I couldn't remember if we mentioned this in the last episode or not. Um, yeah, so we'll, st- we'll put a link to it. Um, yeah, I don't see why not. We could drop a link in uh, every episode. Uh, it's right now it's just got two things in there, but I'm going to basically, I, I am standing by that. Everything is a clue, right? So anyone with the link who clicks it, will be able to see this little spreadsheet that I've put together that, um, <laughs> I, I'm going to put the chapter and like, I, I feel like just marking down clues wouldn't actually be any fun. Um, like, cause that, that I mean that I could just go crazy with that. Right. Right. Um, this is a clue. That's a clue. Cause I mean, in some sense, basically everything so far is a clue, right? Whether in some or not sense, it, I suppose so, yeah. Yeah, like whether or not it turns out to be important is another thing. So like, you know, I think I mentioned um, in the last episode, like the, the fog cloud that he saw jumping from the plane. That's obviously something, but that'd be, that's not a clue to put down, right? So I'm going to try and make it like more concrete predictions. And if it's something that's, you know, resolved within that current reading, you know, it'll go on there or, or it won't. Right now there's two things. So in chapter one, I put the prediction 
in advance that Frongo will be important and it immediately was. Um, Shouldn't it be really important? And chapter four, which we haven't gotten there yet, but I will just say my prediction is that I think Arthur will show up again and I get bonus points if he's transported here and I get two times the bonus points if he's the big bad of the, of the story. Wow. And I don't know what, the, what these points transfer into, but um, well, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about it, but we got to do chapter three first. So if you uh, get enough points, the podcast levels up. <laughs> All right. Uh, I believe that is everything. I had one thing to bring up before we uh, jumped in. Um, oh, did we mention that this is the podcast Not Everything is a Clue, where we analyze Worth the Candle by Alexander Wales? I don't think we mentioned that last time either. Should We We should probably start saying that at the beginning of the episodes for new people who are joining, huh? Yeah, and if you're joining new, start from the beginning probably. Um, but yeah, absolutely. We should say what the show is every time we do it. I mean, we do that okay. for our other podcast. Yeah, I'll add them yeah. to the notes then. Yeah, just put it like we don't really have a script so much as if we have unorganized notes. Yes. And I should tell you this that I have very little notes on the page because they're all in my um they're all on my phone. Uh ah, like my, okay. my phone app lets me highlight text and then put little sticky notes next to it. Oh perfect. And so it makes it annoying because I can't you can't see them. Um That is annoying. I there might be a way but, to export you know, them, but that might be annoying. So I mean you can just kind of say them as we get to them. Well, I meant like if I could export them, uh, that would be cool. Yeah, then I could scan but, them beforehand. Oh wait, I can export them. No wait, I can, I can do I can do something with the notes. Yeah, I can click and share them. All right, so I could do that. Uh, we'll look at doing that for future episodes. Perfect. All right. Cool. So the one thing that I was going to say is that in our last episode, uh, I had gone on this thing about how uh, Athenaeums are based on the Greek goddess Athena. And what does that mean? Was there a Greek goddess Athena in this world? Does that mean that there was a ancient Greece in this world? Is this like an offshoot of Earth or something? And in the Discord, uh, one of the users uh, pointed out that's reading along that June mentions, you know, he knew the word because he used it in one of his role-playing sessions as, you know, just a fancy word for school. And since this world seems to be borrowing heavily from Juniper's role-playing lore, that uh, it could just be imported directly from there and not have anything to do with Earth at all. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's a good point. So I should probably bring that up. Yeah, that's a good point. I thought that I, um, like, I thought I mentioned that in the episode, but I guess I didn't. Yeah, the fact that it immediately answered where that came from just meant that it was drawing from June's knowledge, yeah. uh, to me anyway. Um, you know, it would be cool and interesting if the Greek gods happened to be in this uh or some sort of thing like that. But I just took it to like, especially once they just flat out said, Oh yeah, I remembered that word. I'm like, Oh yeah. Then that's where it came from. Um, yep. That was a flat out fail on my part. No, nah, I mean that these, you know, if you, if you haven't memorized every line of the text, it's not, uh, I don't think that's expected. So, um, yeah. 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 He said it like right there. Anyways, let's, let's pretend that I didn't mess up at all and we'll go forward into the, this episode. That sounds fun. All right. So, when we last left our hero, uh, he was off having accepted the quest uh, Seven Bells for Seven Hells. Yes. And the, I guess, uh, I'm trying to find just the beginning of the this chapter here. Okay, yeah. So, unfortunately, the way I've got it in my book, too, is it's all one. Oh, no, I could just do chapter jump, can't I? There we go. That makes it easy. Okay. Um, so, uh, uh, wait, we did the first three chapters, right? 
we do chapter three, four, and five today. So oh, gotcha. To the the, beginning the, of this breaks this breaks chapter down as preface as one of them. So I got confused. This one starts out where where like she says this is a XC class soul cycle, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sorry, it took me a second. All right. So, so we get names for her. She is Cypress, and this town is Comfort. Right. Um. And I, we learn later, or maybe it says it earlier, but when he walks back to Comfort, which is like two and a half blocks, you know, up the street, I guess. Um, later on, they see a zombie that he recognizes from the gas station. And he says, that means that they followed me to Comfort, which I guess means that he walked for some time between the gas station and here. I thought that this was just like a little bit away. Um, but I guess that uh, I mean, it, that would also explain why there's not everybody around here, right? Yeah, it couldn't have been terribly far away if he was able to walk it in the course of i don't know maybe a few hours i mean like, yeah but that, that, that's more slow. than i thought i thought that it was like uh i thought that he had been walking for 30 minutes or something um okay. you know if we give him an afternoon assuming that this place operates in 24 hours cycles uh then you know that's still um uh, he's covered some miles uh okay. yeah i thought it was like on the order of you know a mile or something and that doesn't really matter except for the fact that uh you know the he, later on we find that the horde all the way from the drop site, just followed everybody to comfort or the people who went to comfort. So, Oh, speaking of which, uh, apparently um, when you drop out of an airplane, you are already going at a couple hundred miles <laughs> per hour and uh, you can change your direction of flight by, uh, uh, by about, uh, according to people in the discord who have done air jumps uh, for every hundred feet that you drop, you can also move a hundred feet in any one direction. So people can actually end up being pretty darn scattered if they're dropping from uh, 10,000 feet up. Yeah, that's wild. That was really cool to hear. Um, was it really a hundred feet per hundred feet or a hundred feet per thousand? No, no, it was one to one. Oh man. Yeah. So, uh, the other thing that the, uh, discorder mentioned, I'm sorry, I can't remember the user handle and pausing to look it up would be, uh, weird. Um, it was that, uh, the, uh, like in usual jumps, people jump, you know, several seconds after each other. I, I got the impression during this one that like the, the floor just opened up and everyone was thrown out, but uh that doesn't really matter apparently if you can literally you know they could they could all end up uh you know at a maximum like twenty thousand feet from each other right so Mm -hmm. that's uh what three miles three and change miles um uh yeah yeah that's yeah yeah not not four but more than three so yeah 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 three three and some or almost four so yeah i mean that is a considerable distance when you're walking around so great that explains why they didn't all land in the same parking lot um, right. now I know more about, uh, of course we have to assume that physics here works the same, but we'll grant that for the sake of, uh, moving forward. Um, it hasn't been so drastically different of physics that he's noticed by walking around and throwing things at at least. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, I presumably he's jumped over something and is like, wow, I can jump six feet now. Yeah. Nothing like that. So, yeah. um, anyway, so I like that it opens up, uh, <laughs> It opens up the way I wanted the last chapter to end. Um, you know, uh, so Cyprus, I'm glad we have a name as well, that I don't have to keep calling her Wet Dream. Um, <laughs> she's like, yep, this is a magic bicycle that runs on souls. And uh, I also like, again, his his lack of ability to um, engage socially. Two questions. First, you haven't given me a name. And she's like, that's not a question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and then second, who or what is comfort? And then 
Comfort is the town's name. And from what I saw while I was falling. So that does, yeah, sound like she came from the plane. And uh, not that she came down from somewhere else, which is my first reading. Um, you missed the giant sign. Uh, Skill unlocked. Comedy. Well, he got because comedy I for was saying. distracted by all the zombies. Exactly. And apparently that's a no-no word. Um, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And I pulled it out here. Um, when when he says zombies, she like completely goes stone cold and lifts her gun up to point at him again. And uh, then says things like, look, I didn't believe you when you said you're a dissident, but uh, there's still some rules worth following, you know? And he's like, oh, shit, I didn't know this was a big deal. And like, what the hell? When I read this, I was like, is there like a zombie rights advocate group in this world? Or have have the zombies been an oppressed minority? They don't seem to have any (laughs) conscious thought. Like, what is what is going on? I'm guessing that between that and how he's received when he delivers the um, uh, the last rights for that one guy that yeah. there's there's just a heavy reverence for the dead and i'm assuming you know the z word is like the equivalent of the n word for you know uh zombies in this place and so um you know if you if there's some you know like and you can't call them that because it's really disrespectful yeah but i'm trying to think of like you know reverence for the dead is a thing that you know many people at least are familiar with like even if you don't share it yourself and so you know you imagine just you know movies that you've seen of whatever norse mythology or something um like or vikings rather or whatever like you know dishonoring your ancestors um so like if if there's any sort of sentiment like that and you throw this you know just this slur at them or something or this because i I, i'm taking it as like more than a slur you know this is like this is almost like blasphemy um it's sort of how i'm reading this reaction to it so uh then like he says, no, I'm not from around here. I'm from Bumblethuck, Kansas, which I need to render a prediction on that, actually. So, um, so what is the prediction? I, I was I was wondering whether or not to finish that thought or f- jump straight into the prediction. So the the prediction, like if he the fact that he said Bumblefuck, Kansas so many times, and this is the first time he said it out loud, like in his head, you might say, I'm from middle of nowhere, Nebraska, right? Mm-hmm. But to deliver that to somebody as like this is where I used to live. Um, it sounds like that's actually, and he capitalizes it too, right? Like that sounds like the actual name of the actual city that he is actually from, which right. seems to reduce, uh, it seems like evidence to reduce my likelihood that he actually came from earth. Um, so oh. I don't quite know what to make of that, but I mean, he, you know, clearly he didn't come from our earth cause we don't have a bumblefuck Kansas, but, uh, See, like the fact I, that it's so ridiculously named suggests to me that maybe not all of his memories of where he used to live are accurate. Oh, Okay. When when I read that, I just I, I assumed it was sort of a uh, winking at the reader kind of humor thing, where the author is like, he's from the middle of nowhere, Texas, and I don't want to name an actual town, so I'm going to that that isn't Texas because that can always sometimes have you know knock on effects if you name an actual thing in a fictional work. So you just make up something, and he made up this obvious you know bumblefuck to so that the reader knows immediately this is not you know a metropolis this is not even like a suburb uh, or or a medium-sized town this is this is bumblefuck nowhere so we don't need to have you know it's a in my opinion it was a blindingly like large sign that that it's just a small town but but you're right that it is kind of a crazy name don't get me wrong like it's not strong evidence but it's 
it's suggestive to me because if he was just wanting to name it like some place, he could call it Tumbleweed or something, right? Just make sure there's not a Tumbleweed, Kansas. And if there That's is, true. call it, you know, call it Cactus, Kansas, you know, like some some random thing that indicates, yes, this is the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah. But I did just search for Bumblefuck, Kansas in Google Maps and there is not one. Oh, good. Is there a Tumbleweed, Kansas? Because that will count as very weak evidence in favor of my (laughs) my conclusion here. There is... It doesn't appear to be a town named Tumbleweed, Kansas. There is a Tumbleweed Grill and Bar. Perfect. But then I feel like if if you wanted to convey middle of nowhere, you could have done something like that. The fact that it is Bumblefuck, Kansas, and that would be where you'd write your letters to, um, it just just, at least tells me that he didn't come from our Earth, right? Gotcha. Yeah, unless unless that's just how he has always assigned it in his head, right? Um, hey, maybe he's not from it, our Earth. It, yeah, so that I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll I'll table that for now. Um, what I like about this, though, this this is what I wanted him to do last chapter was he's like, look, I'm from Kansas. The plane was like the first time I've been here, and I don't know if I was what you know how magical I got here, but I'm not even from this world. And he gets an achievement yeah. for full disclosure. Right. And, the, you know, so the go with the honesty policy actually seems to make, uh, well, A, I'm glad it landed well, but B, it wasn't a bad idea. And it, it yeah. gains him some some reason to actually ask questions without having to like, I mean, how long could he hide the fact that he's not from here, right? Um, I mean, yeah, it probably would have been hard. He could have finished this interaction for sure. But, yeah. you know, you keep fucking up social mores and you keep... Uh, I don't know, having no clue what's going on or some vague clue because you built the world. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you build it on accident and don't know everything that's in it, you still aren't 100% in the driver's seat. Um, and there's a word now, for this. Yeah, this is the most interesting thing by far. Like when I was reading, this really caught my attention. You've been dream skewered. First of all, cool way to put it. Hell yeah. And so dream skewered is um, like... It's basically <laughs> someone that's been teleported here from Earth. Exactly. I want to. I want to put it the way that she puts it. Oh yeah. Um, go ahead. Oh well, I mean, like she she describes Earth to him. She's like, yeah, it has seven continents, two large oceans, spinning globe with ice at the top and bottom, right? And she's like, yeah, yeah, we we know about that place. Every now and then, someone gets dream skewered and they lose all memory of their previous lives, and now they're a new person, and it's basically like they got killed and replaced. So what's what's wild about that is like and and so clearly she's some sort of scholar who, you know, knows about things. This this seems like I think she said this happens to like a hundred and something people. And I don't know what the population is of of uh whatever this continent is called or this planet is called, I forget. Um Aern or something? A E R N? B. Airb. Airb, that's right. Um so <laughs> Which she thinks like, is a lazy ass name. Right. Uh, I don't know if that's the name of the country or continent or like planet. I'll have to double check. But anyway, so like, I don't know what Arab's population is, but if they're aware of like, oh yeah, there's hundred people, like that's a fairly esoteric thing given, I guess I don't really know what their life is like for people, right? There are cars. So like there's some technology, you know, news gets around. Um, we'll talk about the discordant technology here at some point, but uh, what was I going to say about the, oh, uh, scholar business. So here's here's the real crazy thing, and this this seems to like back up the idea that these people actually came from a real place. So there's a hundred something people, and uh, they're um, I'm trying to find the exact phrasing. I didn't highlight it, did I? Um, oh no, yeah, I did. The interesting thing about the dream skewered 
is that their records from Earth match up, even if they haven't communicated with each other. Yeah. And like they they just she she calls it a del- and then she's like, oh, that's that's your delusion, you know. Um, and it's like, OK, well, hold up a minute. Like maybe this is a concluded scientific field on air. But from where I'm sitting, you're telling me that, you know, like if you and I you know, both took DMT uh, in separate houses and we both talked to an alien God who told us, you know, the safe combination to a safe neither of us had ever seen before. And we both knew it. That would be evidence of that DMT took us to somewhere and we talked to something, right? Like right. at the very least, it would be super interesting. We wouldn't say, oh, you guys are both deluded. And it's like, but I made a real prediction and we both heard it. Like when we weren't near each other when it happened, like, so um, anyway, I, I feel like it's, it's either obvious or it's so obvious that it's going to kick me in the balls, but like it's obvious that all these people used to be on earth. I think the same thing. Yes. But also, you know, in, in a world with magic, if you can share a dream world with someone else, like it's it's a fairly common fantasy trope where, you know, you go into a dream world when you sleep and you can meet other people there and stuff. If, you know, someone could impose that sort of dream world on someone's memories and wipe out who they used to be, then you can have a shared delusion of a real world that doesn't really exist aside from, you know, in dreams. Yeah, that's a good point. It hadn't occurred to me that this might've been like a spell cast on him. And like, you know, so for whatever um, crime, well, I want to, sorry to hold this up, but I want to read really quick about what it says. There have been perhaps, oh, there have been perhaps a thousand of the dreams skewered. They are cared for and studied at the Athenium of Speculation and Scrutiny. Great name for a, you know, scientific investigative investigative, uh, academy. Um, To my knowledge, their only delusions are of the lives lived on Earth. Um, Okay, so I was going to say, like, maybe this was a spell cast on them by, you know, some mean wizard uh, or as as, as a punishment for a crime, right? But if that's the case, it wouldn't really be like cause for study. It would just take a volunteer or something, right? Like, yeah. If, if it was a court sentence punishment, which I could totally imagine being a thing, right? All right, you you've right, broken right. the law, criminal scum. We're going to erase your memory and make you into a nice citizen now because we have magic. I could totally see how a bad society would do that. Um, but uh, but no, it sounds like this is a mysterious phenomenon. Exactly. Thank you. I was not getting. I was not articulating that point well. Um, and then he does ask her like, all right, well, you know, I, that doesn't quite make sense because like I invented a lot of this shit and she's like, oh, you're so narcissistic. Um, and he's like, do they level up like me or do they all see the game overlay? And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he's like, I see letters float in front of me. Like, uh, there, there are words that appeal appear over my field of view. She says, I've never heard of such a thing. Um, I kind of wonder. I was oh, sorry, say, go so either, either the other dream skewered have never told anyone about this or, or it just doesn't happen to them and he's unique. Or her knowledge of the dream skewered is, you know, rough. Like she, she's That's vaguely true, familiar with, with the, the concept she's heard of earth. She says ice at the top or bottom. Like she, she couldn't name the continents or anything. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. She's like, there's ice there somewhere on like the top or bottom, right? Like seven different continents. Um, but like she might, she might just, she might just not be an expert at the dream skewered people. That said, um, I feel like he's, you know, working his way into a very powerful situation. If the dream skewered were all the only ones having this video game business, I feel like at some point there's perhaps a thousand. One of them would have, you know, done something remarkable, right? Yeah, 
or leveled up. Well, I mean, yeah, certainly. I think I feel like they couldn't go go a week without leveling up if they tried. Um, you know, it, they like he gets he gets it for walking, right? Um, right. So if, well, if they he just got to scale up, but presumably that works into his XP pool that got him towards his level up. Ah, okay. I, I mean, I'm guessing. I guess I don't know. Well, I don't. That is not uh, how I took it, but that could be the case. It depends on the game system in question. Yeah, I guess I sort of just assumed everything he does works towards his XP pool as long as he's doing something, including athletics. And it just like okay. sure you you could level up through doing enough jumping jacks, but it would take you a lot longer than say I don't know building two void tunnelers, right? Um, yeah, there's a lot of games where skill systems are semi-independent from XP, like you're capped by your level or whatever, but you don't you have to increase the skills separately from leveling, and also you don't get XP for increasing your skills. So okay. it could be that world. But there's also other worlds, like you said, where you get XP for every little thing you do. And sometimes it's minuscule, but everything goes in the pot. Gotcha. All right. Well, that's, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I, uh, I realize we're I not like making the, very fast progress. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, it's okay. I like the fact here that um, when she, she says, uh, when we get out of here, you'll have to consult with the Athenaeum of Speculation and Scrutiny. And he gets pop-up, quest accepted, straddling worlds. Right. Which that, that first of all, I mean, he, as he points out, he didn't actually accept any quest, but it, it was just populated into his logs. But uh, it, this is kind of like a cool way of the game telling him, "Hey, you have a thing to do. That it's important for you to go to this Athenaeum and find out more about yourself at some point, and you will get XP for it." And I was like, "That's that's a cool mechanic. I would like that in real life. If you know, I knew what my next thing I'm supposed to do in life is." I know, right? Yeah. So that that actually does suggest that. Um, like in 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 the video games I've played, like if somebody's like, "Hey, can you go to this cave and get my uncle's old hat or something?" You can say no, and you don't get the quest. If you are near the king and the king says, "Hey, uh, at some point I need you to go find my my uh, my mysterious um, off the books son and do stuff," like that quest gets added to your quest log. You don't get a yes or no, right? So yeah, that's a good point. Except the the straddling worlds quest is clearly part of the main storyline for him, and uh, like this this was something that was going you know he and in fact I mean this encounter mainly like there are parts of it that feel uh, like a scripted scene in a video game right. Um, this is the the first sanctuary from the zombies he's found, and lo and behold, it has a very important NPC in it. And yeah. that NPC dumps some exposition on him and gives him two quests. Uh, this sounds like this was this was going to happen. And so the Straddling Worlds quest, I guess is what I'm saying, is not an optional one. Maybe we'll see him get optional quests. Like, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm assuming, too, that the Seven Bells for Seven Hells quest is is not optional. But I wonder, so like, whole- if somebody sends him like, hey, can you can you go do this thing for me? And it can be an optional quest. That might happen. Do you like, but... It's not like he didn't have the choice of which building to go into or which way to walk down the road when he left the gas station, right? Did he, though? I I don't know. Maybe he didn't. I mean, so it, it could be one of those things, too, that, like, uh, so I brought this up, uh, and he thinks about this, too. So he accepts, you know, it's, uh, plot-wise, he accepts the quest of Seven Bells for Seven Hells, which is, hey, go take this, like, spike in a jar and go stab some people slash zombies slash, excuse me, uh, risen um, yeah. with it and harvest their souls. We need them to power this magic bicycle. 
And so he's like, all right, sure thing. And he gets the quest. Um, and so uh, then he's off or no, she gives him his, her pistol first. And I was like, oh, don't worry. I'll make another one, which I'm going to say this over and over. Crafting is overpowered as fuck. And he should be investing as much time as he can into it. The second that he gets a chance. Um, so, so can you, uh, sorry, go ahead. Can I want to stop here for a second because first of all, there is souls in this world. And like, what the fuck even is a soul here? Apparently it's a glowing ball that comes out of a body after it's dead. If you have the right equipment to pull it out. But like, I, I, any sort of world where there is a soul, I immediately have some issues with because souls are such a weird thing that doesn't really make any sense. I mean, it's to me, I took it just like a conceit of this universe. Like you're right. Souls, uh, the digger, the, the, the deeper you dig tends to like make no sense. But for all we know, you know, this world operates differently than ours where like, uh, maybe instead of a, a fueling a motorcycle with these souls, they could shove them into some sort of golem and it would have the memories of the soul of the person that it used to be. In which case this, these souls operate like in the intuitive way that we imagine souls would operate here. If you're a, you know, our earth dwelling person who believes in souls. Um, yeah. I mean, since it's based off June's June's ideas of a world, I assume that it means at least something like what we think of where at the very least a soul is maybe a consciousness. That, like that's the closest thing in our world to what a soul is supposed to be, right? It's like the conscious center of of any human. I mean, it's unless this is going to become alive. Uh, yeah, unless this is going to become uh, you know Stephen Inyash's philosophy hour. I <laughs> I think we could go on to this about for for a while. Like, um, I mean, I I think that the more esoteric uh, conceptions of souls is it's not anything tangible or noticeable. Like, I think you can get theologians, who, you know professed believers who will say oh no i mean it's yeah brain damage damages your your mind and consciousness because that's all part of the meat you know the soul is distinct from all that stuff and if you ask them how it relates to the body that's that's a mystery um you know it how how does it maintain all your memories it's like well that's that's part of what it does but the the memories and consciousness that you're aware of well that's all your that's all your meat that's your brain right yeah um yeah i just took it kind of like soul trap from dilda scrolls games Whereby, if you're carrying a soul gem, uh, you can you think they come in various sizes. Small ones work on animals of various sizes, and then only what is it, large or very large, or black? Oh no, black soul gems work on humans. Um, and I'm assuming they're black because it's a big no-no to trap a human soul in a rock and then use it to enchant your armor. <laughs> um, oh my god! But, uh, it's it's similar to this. You can use it to um, like fuel things uh if you have a a rod that shoots fireballs it has a limit on it unless you recharge it with souls um yeah so maybe well, like, you know, i'm assuming that's how so the motorcycle guess, works so i guess the thing is like if souls are the consciousness of people they're destroying souls to fuel the motorcycle i'm not i, I don't think that they're consciousness i think that they're this this other thing because zombies have souls dude um yeah, yeah, she said like if a, if you get to a zombie within 30 minutes of the body being killed it'll still have a soul. Right. So like maybe the souls dissipate after a while. I think that's either they ascend or they go to hell or um or they or they yeah, dissipate is another good word for it. Um okay, so either yeah, they go to an afterlife or or they get trapped and then destroyed, which I mean that it, if there is an afterlife for a soul to enjoy, that again implies that there is some consciousness there, right? 
Yeah, I suppose. Uh, I mean, it it might be I, again. I, I feel like we could spend a lot of time on it. I I guess you're right. This could be this horrifying thing where they're essentially you know stealing mines and using them to power their bicycles or their motorcycles, or whatever. Um, yeah, I, 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 I guess think that's kind of fucked up. I think that might be what's going on, but I, I guess I could see it like as a like uh, the fact that zombies can run around with with souls apparently. And still Four be violent zombies. Yeah, but but the fact that they can, that there's a window. You know, I'm not conscious inside my zombie body unless suddenly I want to be a zombie and do zombie things like, you know, groan and eat people, right? So, yeah. like, uh, if the soul is dis- the soul seems distinct from consciousness in that way, it still resides in the meat suit for 30 minutes, but then, like, maybe it just dissipates like uh, like heat, you know? Um, it returns to the the ether of magic in the um, on the planet, and it's only conscious if it's in the right kind of host. Because clearly, a a walking and moving host like a zombie isn't the right kind of host for consciousness to you know come out of the soul. Um, yeah. So, so I, maybe it's not a monstrosity what they're doing here. Right. It. Don't get me wrong. This is Alexander Wales. There's a there's an above fifty percent <laughs> chance that it's a monstrosity. But right. right now, I'm not losing sleep over it just because. Uh, if if souls can run around in zombies and the the conscious person isn't there, it seems to indicate that souls are distinct from consciousness. Um, and granted, like you said, it's only for thirty minutes, but the fact that it's more than zero seconds is is all I need to have that uh, potential caveat there. Um, so here at, at he basically says, "Sure, I'll go get, I'll go fetch you some souls." Um, mm-hmm. And I like this too. Uh, destroying souls in order to get to fuel a motorcycle would that would get us out of here well that was pretty metal (laughs) (laughs) nice um says but it left a bad taste in my mouth um and yeah i mean i guess i'm maybe i'm so blase about the soul problem because like in um again in in elder scrolls you know the the animals had had souls i took it as kind of like this you know what what new agey people call life force right Mm, Um, yeah and if it's and if it's if it's merely life force, then like that would make it make a lot more sense as an energy source too. Yes, and maybe I should have articulated that earlier. Like, and I always like saying life force. I'm making air quotes while I say it um, because, like, when somebody's you know new age therapy will you know enhance your life force or something or whatever, or Reiki practitioners can see it. Like, I it, it's always like, what exactly are you talking about? Like, no, 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 not 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 approximately. What what specifically? And they have no idea, and it's. Anyway, so this this magic Elan Vital sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's what souls are. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I like how he does try to ask, wait, is there an afterlife? Which is exactly the right kind of way to phrase that question, right? He's like, oh, I'll go to the thing. Wait, hold up. This is important. Is there an afterlife? I'm, I could die out there. Um, <laughs> She's like, go do the quest. We don't have time. Which, come on. Give me a yes or no. <laughs> Like I need to know how reckless to be out there trying to get these souls. <laughs> yeah, um, and I like that he asks for the gun, and then she's like, "Yeah, sure." And she's like, "I'll build Let's another, make another one." Exactly. Um, and it's described. I'm picturing kind of like a like a wallet sized squirt bottle. Um, yeah, but still kind of flat-ish. It's it's this like deck of cards shaped, but with a full handed grip. Um, maybe it's like one of those. Uh, uh, I'm picturing it and it's gone. Uh, they make like a little hand exercise things. Yeah, it's a gun. It shoots. Yeah, but it's shaped like a deck of cards. Right. That's the funny part. It's like it's this cube 
and it's just like pew out of the front of it and it does well it, it barely shoots just it just puts a void in a direction that the, that the hole is facing on it which is tight um yeah that's pretty cool and so then he's like all right seven souls i'll have them when i get back and then loyalty increased amaryllis level zero i wish Boom. that before he had left he had said wait I'm going to test my prediction that I'm not making my delusions about knowing stuff up. Is your real name Amaryllis? Of course, if he had done that, he probably would have been held at gunpoint and said, how do you know who I am or some shit? Uh, yeah, I'm assuming right. she gave him a fake name because she's in hiding uh, or of some sort, right? So um, did you, when this when this popped up, did you assume automatically that Cypress's real name is Amaryllis? Oh, yeah. I don't think that even counts as a prediction. Yeah, uh, that is that is the same thing I thought when I saw that. I was like, oh, why would she lie to him about that? And yeah. then later we find out. Well, we don't find out why she lied yet. Uh, or I haven't yet. Well, that's true. But we, uh, we know that somebody recognizes her as the, as, uh, I forget if it was queen or princess. I'll have to see when I get there, but, um, royalty something. And so, you know, why is she hiding? Because that's a super standard video game trope, right? The right. Zelda hid as Sheik to hide from Ganondorf. And it was, you know, and if I were to say, wait a minute, is your name, are you Zelda? Then, Sheik, the badass, would probably hold a knife to my throat and say, how do you know that? Um, so it's a, it's a whole thing. Anyway. Um, so this is the point where he goes into theories as to what the frick is going on. So I thought it would be a good time for us to go into theories as to what the frick is going on. I will say that before hey. we dive into these, and I like how you... Su- oh, you know what? We'll summarize them first, and then I'll just to say the thing I was going to say. Although first... Um, Oh, wait, you put this in the notes, too. Sorry, we should communicate our notes better. We'll do that going forward. Um, like, I pull out a lot of the same stuff that you pulled out. Uh, okay. Sitting on the plane. So, dream theory. Either I'm in a dream, hallucinating, or in a coma. Um, doesn't really feel like a dream, and there's nothing really I can do about that. So, noted but discarded. Um, second one, simulation theory. I'm playing Roy at the mall. And I'm summarizing this one. Ah, that's right. It was Roy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... Now, looking back on it, the sitting on the plane was obviously a cut scene. And I'm like, that's what I yeah. said. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that, doesn't count as, that doesn't count as a prediction because like, or even again, that that's just like, I, I think I'm shoving video game into this too hard. But like any, any time really where like there's exposition dumps at him, I'm going to picture it like a cut scene in the game. Um, there, there are even games where like, you know, you're receiving exposition and you can pace around the room. So like, you know, the, 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 the freedom of motion or thought or free will or whatever doesn't even necessarily mean that it's not a, a scripted scene. Right. Um, gotcha. Yeah. But that, that, that scene on the plane felt so much like the, Hey, you're finally awake from Skyrim. that I'm like, that's gotta be the same thing. Um, actuality theory. Um, this place exists. And I got here through hitherto unknown magic or technology. Uh, I pulled that out because that's the third time in two books that I've seen Alexander Wales use the phrase hitherto unknown. And I love it. Yeah, it's a uh, great phrase. He uses it twice in Metropolitan Man, or rather Lex uses it twice. And my wallpapers change every minute. A, a minute ago, it was space. The minute before that, it was Skyrim. And this minute, it's this big Avengers wallpaper. And there's Doctor Strange. And in Infinity War, he says, hitherto undreamt of, which is mm-hmm. almost as awesome, or which is slightly more like archaic and awesome than hitherto unknown. But yeah, because uh, undreamt of is even more like, yeah, that, that, that feel. Exactly. All right, so um, the actuality theory is like, yeah, this place is real and I got slammed into some body here through magic or technology. Yeah. 
And then the dream skewer theory being that exactly what Amarilla said, this is the actual real world and everything before this was just some dream that's been implanted into my body. Uh, but as he points out, that doesn't explain the game overlay or the fact that uh, he leveled up. I like how he checks his body for like his arm for the same freckles that he had on Earth to confirm that it's the same body. Yeah. Um, and so he's like, OK, well, I, I'm here with the body I had before. So maybe I was teleported here. And then, yeah, Dream Skewer Theory, which, uh, you know, again, all this background knowledge. And he even goes on to give details of things that aren't game related, right? Uh, his hamster, the Chinese takeout place, et cetera. Um, but like he says, that doesn't explain the game overlay. And what I liked about this was that um, at the end, it's like, okay, what's actionable here? Nothing? Well, then I'll put a pin well, well, in it and move on. on. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But before we do that, like, which of these four would you think is most probable? Um, what I liked about it was that as I'm going through it, like when when I was going through it with with June for the first time, and he's laying these out, and I I, I had the thought that he has in the next like a paragraph or two later, which is like, you know what, it doesn't actually matter. So like, I'm not going to burn a lot of fuel on it. Um, if I had to guess, uh, the thing is, I. I don't have one. I, I I don't think it's going to be neatly one of these. Um, you know, actually exists. Well, I mean, you know that that's not inconsistent necessarily with simulation theory. You know, if Earth is a simulation, if our Earth is, it still actually exists. It's actually here in the simulation, right? Yeah. Like my water bottle is actually right here, whether or not it's running on a computer or running on physics. Um, so, like. Simulation theory and actuality theory aren't uh, aren't mutually exclusive. Neither dream dream skewer theory kind of fits into any of these, right? Um, like it could be a simulation, and uh, he he had um, either made up or implanted or real memories from Earth. Um, I, I'm leaning in the direction of whatever combination or whatever area of possibility space includes there having been a real world, and now he's not there. Um, okay. so that's where I'm at, but, he, but he eventually just says, you know so what? All of I, them except for dream skewer. Um, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, yeah. uh, at the very least, um, some version of dream skewer could fit in there. Like if, uh, if right up until this moment, um, or until the moment of the plane, the beginning of the cutscene, you know, which again, nothing, nothing so far fits at all with the dream skewer hypothesis. Like, I don't. I don't like how uh, Cyprus was so dismissive of the. You know, this is like, oh, that's our idea about it. This is settled science, and it's like, to hell it is. Like, I woke up in the middle of a cutscene. <laughs> to him, it's obviously not. But like, if if we were met with someone who was telling us about how he has evidence that the Earth is flat, we would be like, oh God, okay, we've heard all this before, and we already know what you think and why you think it and why it's wrong. No, if we met with a hundred people or a thousand people from all across the globe who claimed to have been outside the matrix and described a similar environment that, and none of them had ever spoken to each other before. That's the situation that dream theory, dream skewery theory is pretending to answer. Yes. But we also live in a world without magic, whereas they have a world with magic. And so that opens up a lot more possibilities. That's fair. And since I don't know what the magic is yet, then maybe dream skewery theory turns out to be the most uh, plausible, but from where I'm sitting, I'm calling bullshit. Okay. The, fa- the fact that they're all like, again, it would be one thing. Oh yeah. We've got a thousand people. They've all had like these delusions of past lives. Um, but for them to all have a shared delusion, uh, 
out of nowhere, you know, does, does this, you know, like, does this lich float around and just like slap people's, uh, does, and like just slap people into dream skewered state? Like, yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. So I, I guess the thing with, I, I was like solidly on board with Dream Skewer Theory, except for the fact that there's a game overlay. That like that's the thing where I'm like, I don't know, man. They why why is there a game overlay? And and he actually like leveled up and floated off the ground and had like a gold light shooting out of him when it happened. The the Dream Skewer doesn't doesn't explain that at all. So I mean that's I really like the Dream Skewer theory because I think it makes for a very compelling story where someone thinks that he's from earth and insists that he's from earth but he he obviously isn't except for the fact that we have the game overlay and that ruins the whole dream skewer in my opinion it at least changes it right um some -hmm. part of it could be true and he could be some prophesied god who you know whatever right um yeah he could be the 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 one who comes every ten thousand lifetimes um so you know, it, it it could still be Dream Skewer and he's just the chosen one or something. But uh, frankly, I thought that she might have been lying about the game overlay up until uh, he sees those other people later and freaks them out by leveling up in front of them. Like, yeah, because she, she just says, never heard of such a thing. And it's like, you're not going to ask questions about what text I'm seeing. Like, for all I for all, you know, I'm seeing numbers over your head that tell you when you're going to die. Like, you, you don't you don't have any no follow up questions. OK, <laughs> that's that's fair. But also they're like in an arena where there's people trying to murder her and zombies wandering around. And no, I, they're, I, I, they're in a safe spot where nothing will ever happen until <laughs> it's scripted to happen in that spot. But she can't she can't acknowledge that because she's an NPC. Okay, gotcha. So, like, you know, if if you if you try and stop the king leaving in oblivion and be like, "Hold on, I got some questions," he's like, "No, sorry, we got to keep going." It's like, actually, no, you you don't get attacked for another two rooms. Let's just sit and talk. He he he's not predisposed to sit and listen, right? So, right, um, and like the safe zones at the end of every Left for Dead level. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it, I I imagine that this garage will get destroyed here in the next chapter, but up until it gets destroyed, it's the safe spot. Not not just like historically, but actually it's a quote or it's a capital S safe zone. Um, anyway, his takeaway is that this didn't really matter except in the metaphysical sense. And I love this quote. This is peak, uh, peak whales for me. It had been a while since I'd looked at Maslow's hierarchy, but I was fairly certain that metaphysics was fairly high above it. <laughs> or, or Yeah, it was fairly high up it above more basic things like not getting killed by zombies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So he's like, I'll figure out the meta- I'll figure out the metaphysics stuff later as soon as I'm not, you know, at risk of being killed by zombies. Yeah. Um, yeah, he said the real question is um not what I believe to be true, but how I would change what I was doing on the basis of the possibilities. Exactly. And that's interesting because like if he ends up believing it's a dream theory, then it doesn't matter if he dies because it just means he'll get to wake up. Uh whereas actuality theory is like if this place actually exists and I was teleported here through magical technology, if I die, then I'm dead. Uh, so that, that actually matters quite a bit. What, what he believes. Yeah. I think that like, this is definitely worth sitting down and figuring out at some point, but in the, like, I think what, what he means and what I, what, what I liked about it. And that's why I pulled it out for so long was like, I had the exact same thought that he had while he's going over these is it's like, you know, it doesn't really matter at this moment. Cause you don't like, you don't have, you know, any, any strong evidence like, or any, any proof. So like no, nothing like bait, you know, uh, uh, bet your life on it level confidence, right? So, right, exactly. So, like, so short, we short, could be... Yeah, short of that... You and me could be in the Matrix right now, but I'm not about to go 
uh, taking stupid, deadly risks just because I might wake up outside the Matrix. I, I'm going to keep living as long as I can. Thank you very much. Exactly. And uh, that's so that that's kind of where I'm at with, and that's that's where he lands too. Is it's like, yes, if I get confirmation that this is all a dream, then yeah, I'll jump off a cliff and wake up back in my uh, back in fifth period English uh, when you know whatever I get bored of the game. But um, like you know, for now, let's just try not to get killed. Uh, and uh, instead of going was, through this like paragraph by paragraph, we should probably skip around to the juicier bits so that we aren't here for like four hours. It's tough because there's so many fun things to talk about. So, all right, we'll power through. On his way out of the gas station, he's thinking this is a good good time for a jump scare. And boom, he's attacked by two uh, Mohawk folks. And yeah. he kicks both of their asses. Um, one has a sword because he must have had a slightly higher level of melee, um, whether <laughs> he knows it or not. And he picks up and he gets the sword and then later he gets a sheath for it and that he was surprised fits. And I'm like, of course it fits. It's a sword sheath and you've got a sword. Like <laughs> in, in our world, sword sheaths don't always fit their swords, right? But if you've got a, right. a sword and you know you get a sheath, it's going to work, right? The shapes will just happen. <laughs> so, I mean, you're assuming that this is the, the video game then. Oh, yeah. Very strong. I'm running hard with the video game. Like it's... You know, it's that 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 to me is even evidence for it. Like he says, he was surprised it fit. Well, I mean, I guess it could have been where he got the sword, but then why not have the sheath for it? No, man, it fit because it's a sword sheath, and you're carrying a sword. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. That, that's as much designation as the universe needs. Um, you know, it, at some point things will slow down, and he can sit there and do experiments, and that'll get really interesting. I want him to, you know, do the equivalent of picking up a differently shaped sword sword sheath and seeing if it fits on this sword, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not impossible that it wouldn't, but I think that it might, um, or, or the equivalent of something like that happening where it's like, yeah, this is different enough, but it's close enough or it's different to you, but it's close enough that like, as far as I'm concerned, I being the game, it's the same. Go for it. Um, speaking of video game mechanics, he brings up the point that, uh, when you're given an quest by an NPC, generally the first thing any player does is completely ignore the quest. Yes, he has the responsible uh, video game approach, and I I put a comment on there that like when I was playing Oblivion, like I get the quest from the king, hey, go go find my my uh, my bastard son and get his blood to do the magic to save the world, etc. Um, I'm like, you know what, I could do that, or I'm gonna go left, and I just I just walked until I came across the first place I landed, which I think was called Chaden Hall. I haven't been there in years, and I spent what must have been an in-game month just living in that town. Uh, it was awesome. And so that's, that's I'm convinced that's he could always, do that. That's the thing that's really always annoyed me about video games, that in most of them, you can just do that. And I understand why. Like, you don't want to punish the player for exploring this entire huge, beautiful world that you built. But God, it so breaks the immersion for me when, like, the world is ending and you have to do this important thing to save literally everyone. And you're like, hold up a minute. I'm going to go find this old lady's frying pan. Right. Um, or like, you know, in Skyrim, you know, the world eater is about to show up and you're like, I got to catch these butterflies to try and, you know, figure out everything that it can do. Like, yeah. you know, let, let's let's catch butterflies after you save the world, uh, Dragonborn. Come on. Um, I will so like, say one of the things I really liked about the original Fallout game was that there was a hidden timer that you didn't know about until the first time you beat the game. But uh, for every few days that you spent in the game, the master's army would march further north and the longer it took you to beat the game, the more of the world was destroyed before you stopped the master. That so, is so to like cool. real 
Yeah, and you don't find that out until your first playthrough. So to really get the best ending possible, you have to go as fast as you can to the end and take as few detours as possible because uh, otherwise, like, half the world is going to get stomped and you get the bad endings for those places no matter what you do because the Master's Army got through them before you beat, beat up the Master. What a genius mechanic, too, to not tell the player about it until they finish the game. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, on their first playthrough, I mean, you know, first one came back, came out like when manuals used to come with video games that would like explain the lore and explain the cool design thoughts. And uh, like, but I, I guess I just I, I just need to appreciate for one more second how genius it is to not tell the player about that mechanic until they've played it so that they that they're they're free and incentivized to enjoy the world that they spent so much time making. And then they're they're welcome to come back and and power through to beat their high score, right? Yeah, yeah, fucking genius. I hope they all got <laughs> huge bonuses and made a ton of money. Um, all right, so uh, he the... does point out that in tabletop RPGs, it, it this doesn't necessarily always work. It depends on your DM. Yes, like, since you're playing with an actual human, they can punish you for not being urgent. Yeah, I. Uh... I, I know we're we're moving too slow for me to give examples from from the limited experience I have, so I'll push past it. But um, basically, he's like, "Yep, since I don't know what kind of game this is, let's play it safe and just do the quest." Um, so he kills the two uh, uh, Mohawk guys. I know they're called uh, Fuchsia Coterie, but Mohawk guy sounds like more fun. Um, and uh, <laughs> um, he gets his arm broken. <laughs> Yes, he gets his arm broken very painfully. Well, okay, there's another thing about the fight. I know I keep p- pressing, you know, pause and moving the story through. So, yeah. first off, he gets jump scared and he knew that was coming because he's genre savvy. Um, and then, like, you know, one of the guys, I think he shoots in the chest and he's like breathing ragged, but he's still coming at him. And this is like a consistent thing when he's fighting these guys through it. Like, oh, yeah, I just, uh, I, I cut you like to the bone and you're still like, you haven't slowed down in your attack. Um, now, it could be like, uh, I don't know if my brother wrote this short story. He just had the idea. I know that it is, it's it's not like an original fantasy trope, but it was original to us when we were like, you know, 10. Um, he had the idea of like, oh, yeah, like a magic spell that uh, um, makes makes your body not register pain. It would be like the perfect thing if you're this, you know, evil warlord to give your troops. So like they they just kind of saunter on until their bodies literally can't go on anymore, but they're not slowed down by being shot or something, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if that's how these guys, it's either something like that to where they're like, yep, there's an injury. No, wait, because they yell out with injury. So it does hurt. Uh, so here's, here's an interesting thing about um, actual humans that have been in combat for, I mean, I have been in it, but from what I've picked up, uh, very often you do not feel your injuries initially. Like for the first, I don't know, 30 seconds, minute, you can keep on fighting. There's actually uh, some really interesting after-action reports uh, in police shootouts because those things get analyzed to fuck afterwards, uh, where someone will say, at this point, uh, the the shooter is 100% dead. No one can survive these wounds. Uh, but he isn't like stopped yet, and he keeps going for another minute and a half or something. Because there's there's a difference between when you are so injured, you will guaranteed die and nothing can stop that, and when your body actually stops moving. And it can be quite a while. So uh, I, I like sometimes people don't even notice they've been injured until they look down and they see the blood leaking out. And then all of a sudden your body registers like, oh, holy fuck, I'm in a lot of pain. But the initial adrenaline will will just get you right past that. 
It could be that. I I I'm wondering if like they again the, I, it so it fits with that just fine. Uh but like it also fits with the their NPCs and they're they're like all right, attack the attack the player character, attack everyone who's not in our in our faction and they take bleed damage. So like you deliver a wound and it starts ticking away at their health because they're bleeding. So like if you shoot one, it'll eventually bleed out and die. Um but like the fact that, that they're not slowed down, it seems, you know, like if you break their arm, it's broken. But, you know, if if you cut my arm off in a fight, it's going to slow me down for a second. I, You know, there's a chance that, yeah, if it's the heat of the moment or whatever, maybe these are all seasoned badasses with pink mohawks. But um, it's I, I'm putting it in my this is a video game uh, like and they're running on video game rules bucket. Um, yeah, I could defend I mean, that longer. What it's but worth. We got. I, I saw a video once of two people uh, kickboxing and their shins met in, you know, like they kicked each other and one of them, the shin broke and like broke clean all the way through. And the, the foot started kind of like windmilling around from the leg. It was really kind of gross and cringe inducing. Uh, but like he didn't notice until he went back to try to step on that foot and it just collapsed out from under him because uh, you just apparently when you're in the heat of a fight, Lots of times you don't feel those things. And other times you do. Like people have literally died from a gunshot wound to the foot just from the uh, shock. Hmm. So it, it it really varies by, I don't know, your body, what happened, random dice rolls. Who knows what the fuck? Well, and like, you know, your your mindset at the moment. Like I get the impression that if these guys are real and they're not just like HP NPCs with help with HP, like then they are like, uh, they're they're trained mercenaries or, or soldiers or something. Right. So like yeah. the, the like creeping around a car to go to attack somebody isn't like the heat of the moment, like, Oh my God, gunfight, you know, uh, ad- full adrenaline pumping thing. Right. Um, and yet like they get shot and they're like, Oh, I've been shot. And then they keep going. Right. Like that sounds exactly like what happens to you shoot an NPC in Skyrim. You're like, yeah, but the oh, worst thing you can do that? when you get shot while you're charging someone is to stop. Like then they just get another shot on you. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll see some more combat. I'll dissect it as we go through. Um, yeah, but anyway, uh, so yeah, he does uh, what he gets his arm broken by the guy with uh, he has like a pipe. Yeah, and mm-hmm. um, I know he gets a brief affliction from it, but uh, he oh, and we also learned that his weapon's called a void tunneler. Um, so uh, let's see, what was I going to say? Yeah, that's what that's why I pulled this quote out. Another little thwip, blood started pouring from his chest. But while he was staggered, he was still coming toward me. You're right. He could be some seasoned, super badass, whatever. But it does, you have to admit, at least fit with the NPC attack the guy, whatever, right? Well, sure. But June gets his arm broken and still has the ability to uh, shoot the guy in the gut and then scramble away from him and then kick a guy in the junk and then shoot him again. So, like... He's <sighs> he's fighting through the pain because his life is on the line here, and we we know f- f- at least the one thing we know is that June is not an NPC. Right, June's not an NPC, but he is the player character, which might give him some buffs, might not. But like, if if I mean, it won't be proof, but it would be evidence. You know, if if one of these guys got hurt, and it's like I need to get out of here, I can't go on. That would be evidence, right? But if he's just if he's just scripted to fight till he's got zero HP. Um, then, then they'll always keep coming. If he hurts somebody and they run away again, because that that also happens in video games, though. So yeah, it does. I don't know. 
All right. Well, we'll put a pin in that. Um, I just noticed that, like, again, heedless of his wound, he's sprinting towards the guy, even though the blood stain is spreading out in pulses and, uh, you know, squirting from his chest. Like, I, I, I don't know. Not call. I don't know. Anyway, he gets a, he gets a broken bone. Um, then, yeah, like I said, he kicks the guy in the nuts and uh, shoots him and gets another level up in pistols. Fuchsia Coterie minion defeated. Level up. And with that, uh, the same glorious hit of ecstasy, like the opposite of getting hit in the face with a frying pan. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love it, because what does that even mean? You don't I can't tell you, but I know it's awesome, right? <laughs> yeah. Um so I also and like lo and behold, his arm is completely healed. Exactly. Um it felt perfectly fine, and a delicate probing, which soon turned into rough probing as I tried to feel it where the break had happened, and I just put a note that said, scientist. <laughs> He's like, it seems fine. Let me poke it harder. Yep. Yeah, wow, it sure is better. That's that's good science right there. Um, and so then he's looking at I, what he, he puts another, uh, he puts his point into uh, physical again, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he gets taller, and like he feels himself get more lean and buff. Um, right. I'm assuming so his clothing expanded to fit his new body. It must have. Yeah. So, um, you know, cause again, that the same thing happens in a game, you know, if you, uh, I, I, I shared the, um, the perk or the, the special, uh, character trait level names from Fallout New Vegas on discord. And they've all got like hilarious names. You know, like, like limp noodle is like a strength of, of one and Hercules bigger cousin is strength 10. Um, yeah. and I don't know if the game actually reflects your physical build or not, but if it did, your shirt would grow with you. So his clothes grew with him. Anyway, like I said, up and up until the the moment where, uh, the other like people that he bumps into freak out at his level up, I was running with the idea that everybody knew this was a game and she just didn't want to talk about it. Um, oh, okay. Cause it's like, you know, yeah, sure. There's cause if she had said, yes, uh, I'll tell you later, he might've insisted on answering, asking questions. Right. Um, but, you know, if uh, apparently not everybody at least levels up, maybe she does. We'll figure it out. But um, anyway, what was awesome was uh, he gets a sword and I put there clearly higher level loot shows up after he's leveled up one handed weapons, um, <laughs> which, uh, uh, you know, that that's something that happens in a lot of games where, oh, yeah, once you get a high enough level, you start seeing Ebony and Daedric weapons or whatever. Right. Um, right. And then. One of the guys zombies and then he shoots him in the chest and he gets his soul too. Um, and I like, for some reason, just again, it's, it's every little Alexander thing. And I know we're going too slow, but the last paragraph of this one halfway done, I thought to myself, even though it wasn't exactly true, it made me feel better to say it. <laughs> he got three of seven. Oh, what's funny is that actually is halfway done. Cause he stops at six. Um, well, it's cause yeah, I mean, it's, you can't get exactly halfway done cause you can't get partial souls. Right. So, you can oh, call we, it at three or at four. Right. But, but he stops at six on his, at the end of the chapter, he goes back to the gas station with the six. So in that sense, he was halfway done. He just didn't know it yet. Um, all right. So chapter four, Reaver opens up with, let me tell you about my D and D group. And in my head, I rolled my eyes and why did you roll your eyes? I, I'm be, curious because I was like, no man, take me back to the story. This is the same shit that I hate happens when I'm watching game of Thrones. It's like, Oh, here comes the dragon. Oh, hold on. Let's go see the politics and King's landing. And it's like, no, ah, fuck that. Okay. So the cutaway to the boring stuff. And it's like, no, 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 you don't, you don't get to do that. We're in, we're in an action scene. I'm curious. Keep the story going. I need to know what's happening. So I rolled my eyes, but before I could finish mentally rolling them, Alexander 
a man who knows my heart says, I know, I know, but it's important. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm engaged again before I had time to finish mentally rolling my eyes. It was so awesome. <laughs> this guy gets me. <laughs> um, so we learned that Arthur was the back, the like emotional core of the group. It was his friend that unfortunately dies. Um, See, I always kind of really like these sorts of flashbacks because like they're an opportunity to like build the backstory and learn the character and see what really motivates people. So I usually am excited for them. I am too. Not always. Uh, well, but... let me rephrase. I, I like them. I don't dislike them on principle. I dislike them interrupting my action moments. Um, gotcha. You know, if, if, if on the cut on the, uh, the fast travel scene where they're on the motorcycle heading towards wherever, um, if he's reflecting then, well, there's nothing for him to do but reflect because he's on a travel, you know, it's a loading screen, right? So, like, at that point, right. just go ahead and do all the reflection you want. Um, so, like, that that's where I, I like the stuff usually. However, because Alexander's a badass, he shoves it into the right spot and he, he, like, again, justifies it immediately and, like, I'm immediately sold. Um, yeah. So, like I said, uh, oh, yeah, I pulled out another note here. Um, he left Arthur with two dozen source books. Arthur's older brother gave them their D and D collection stuff. So he left his, he left Arthur with two dozen source books for various tabletop RPG systems. Although, uh, though half of them were for, were for D and D. And I'm like half, you mean 0.5, five minutes ago, fifth period. You're telling me this is a coincidence. <laughs> uh, everything comes in halves in this or in fives in this story. No, just it's the, the view from up here. Everything comes together, man. Um, yeah. So anyway. You got uh, yarn all over your corkboard. That's right. Uh, There's a mess up here. Um, anyway, so Arthur's the background of the group. And like I said, he, he dies. It sucks. And so. Um, Can I pull out a quote in here that I really loved? Yeah. I mean, this doesn't really have much to do with anything. Just aside from that, I I. I love this writing. He says, I would be eating lunch in the school cafeteria and turn to tell him something only to realize my brain had been running on autopilot and he wasn't there and would never be there. And whatever dumb thing I had wanted to tell him was just going to get added to the stack of things that he was never going to experience. And I, I just thought that was amazing. It is great. And also awful. It cuts deep. So I didn't, I didn't pull it out, but I did read it and, and appreciate how, uh, like, how um, impactful that, that writing is. Um, so yeah, no, it, it's a great one. Um, it's just a bummer, but anyway, uh, I like this too. So when Arthur, Arthur's not in the group, um, like it seems like June gets just kind of angsty and pissy with his group. So he like, he makes up a bunch of like grim, dark shit for all the games he hosted after that. Um, mm -hmm. I liked this. I introduced villains or what was it? Everything I made was grim, dark. It, it was the hopeless despair that infused everything. I introduced villains whose evil couldn't be undone, where their murder would just be a matter of futile vengeance and the world would never be set right. Um, yeah. And so he's worried that like, I, and I think when he was talking with uh, Cyprus earlier, he's like, I hope there isn't fell seed. We still don't learn what that is in this, in this section, but um, he, he does say later, like, man, I hope this isn't a thing. He says it twice. So it's like, Oh, that's some horrible thing you jumped up. That is definitely here. And you wish it wasn't. You wish you had yeah. been uh, less, um, uh, you know, intense with your games. Um, yeah. And yeah, so he, he ends telling us that the reason we have this flashback section right here is because he's saying now he's worried that he's going to have to face all of his most awful, horrible world designs. Felsey, Nightsmoke, the Bora Groves, the Mimsies. Um, 
yeah, all of these uh, things that I'm looking forward to seeing. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be tight. Um, so I liked uh, he. We get this thing. I want to talk about the, the Shire Reeves office too. But uh, when he's thinking about Amaryllis and then the uh, the pistol that she made, and he's like with a box of scraps. No way that wasn't from Iron Man. Tony Stark made this in a cave with a box of scraps. Um, so that's, that's definitely there. And I just need to point out too, video game wise, cause his life is a video game, whether or not this world is crafting is OP as fuck, or at least can be and lucrative for XP and like money. Um, you know, one of the most like lucrative things you can do in the elder scrolls games is take up smithing, make some cheap ass rings and then enchant them all. And you get experience for every step along the way. And they sell for way more than they did before that. You just bought the silver for right. Um, mm-hmm. So he needs to do that shit. And if this game is as broken as some, some, I don't want to say poorly designed games, but as some games like, uh, like Morrowind, the, and you can do this in the other games too, but it's super easy in Morrowind. Uh, you know, you make a, uh, a potion of increased enchantment, uh, enchant some uh, clothing that makes you better at uh, alchemy, uh, make an alchemy, make the user improve alchemy to become better at enchantment, lather, rinse, repeat until you've got potions that turn you into God and you beat the game in 10 minutes, um, which is like actual speed run time, 10 or 15 minutes or something. And it's really just because you can make a potion that makes you fly. And with all the other ones that make you invincible, you literally just fly straight to the volcano where the end boss is and go, go one shot them. So I doubt this game is that easy, but there's probably something there to do. So, all right. Um, he d- he dishes the machete in favor of the higher level uh, sword and um, the Shire Reeve. He knew it would be next to the courthouse, which he knew that uh, this place would have. And he knew it would be called the Shire Reeve's office because that's what he called his sheriff offices in his games. Um, yeah. And at this point, uh, it's pointed out in the text that Shire Reeve is just an archaic way of saying sheriff. And he goes on about the etymology about it for, I think, just a sentence. But... Like, this is one of those things that I really love about Radfic. And I mean, science fiction in general sometimes has this sort of thing, but Radfic in specific, just learning cool new shit is one of the best things. I like that it never disappoints. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, it, and I, most people who are listening to this may have heard the Metropolitan Man one that I did with Brian. Uh, like, all the history, and that's true, minus the Superman stuff and the Lex stuff. <laughs> right. But, yeah. like, uh, the, the orphan trains. You know, it was a real piece of trivia that he came across that he incorporated into uh, the, um, you know, the story. And it was it was fucking tight. I had a question for you. Um, Mm. So he's when he's poking around the office, uh, he's looking at. Oh, wait, sorry. Before he gets there, there's one more thing to talk about. Um, There are gas stations and cars and cobblestone buildings with thatch roofs. Yes. So. He's, he's, you know, he, he doesn't have the time to sit there and like speculate too long on what this means, but he's like, that's weird. Right. Um, and he, he's, he, he mentions that like, you know, maybe it's for tourists or something, but like, I am trying to think of what that implies. I mean, yeah, it could be a tourist thing, you know, Hey, check out our Ren fair. And like, it's next to the gas station. Um, that it might be that, or it's, uh, um, or the auto mechanic shop. I keep saying gas station. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But like, I'm wondering if the thatch roofs, because he, he doesn't talk about the condition of the buildings. Are these new structures or old structures? Because I get the feeling everything here is at least somewhat old. Because he it he did say like 
the place had already been plundered several times over, right? Oh yeah, this is not a an occupied area. But I just I'm wondering if the thatch if the thatch buildings are two centuries old and the gas station's fifty years old, um, or like oh 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 I see if they're leftovers from before. Yeah, so like, did they build the gas station around the thatch places? For some reason, my head tells me no. Like, I think that you know if you're if you're gonna build an auto mechanic shop, you would probably like not put it up like next to these old relic buildings unless again they're like monuments or something. But I. I don't want to spend too long on this other than my, my thought that maybe uh, the the thatch cobbled together buildings were the newer additions to the area that like technology and cars and stuff had been here. And then when all that went to shit, uh, people tried to scrounge together a living. They built houses out of what they could. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Of course, that doesn't really make any sense because they could just move into the buildings that already lived there that were already there. Right. But maybe those buildings got yeah, full. And yeah. People needed to put put more structures up, you know, like in a. But if this happened after the zombie apocalypse, then the buildings wouldn't be getting full because people would be getting killed off fairly frequently. I mean, after a while, I'm thinking like uh, the Walking Dead. You know, like uh, they they they're welcome to move into as many houses as they can, but if they have more people than houses can fill, then they just start building structures, and those structures are going to suck. That's sort of what I pictured yeah. about these thatch buildings. Is that they, gotcha, that yeah. is that they're newer than the existent buildings, but that's just that's not really a prediction. That's just kind of like a wouldn't that be fun? Um, yeah. So then he mentions, and this is something I had to ask you about. Um, so, uh, like, he's wondering why that, like, why are people using swords if there's guns? You know, uh, Tony Stark built this one in a cave with a box of scraps, and <laughs> this guy's running around with a sharp stick. Like, what the hell is going on in this place? Perfect video game logic, but like, what's really going on here? Um, well, and- in my opinion, if if you uh, if you're going up against something where you have to pierce the heart to kill it, and you don't have the however many skill you need to make a craftable void tunneler out of a box of scraps, then having a sharp piece of metal like a sword is actually a really darn good weapon. True, but the other guy had a pipe, which I mean beats beats your fists, yeah. I guess, against zombies. But um, you know, I, I would at least fashion a sharp stick. Uh, but um yeah it, it could just be that they don't have the skills to make make one out of a box of scraps and we don't know for sure that it's made out of a box of scraps maybe she has a box of void tunneler parts um right or but, maybe this really is just like the the larkspur of the world where they had a renaissance festival set up right nearby it could be i kind of wonder because larkspur like, for people who aren't in colorado is where our uh, our colorado renaissance festival is every summer and it has you know all the renaissance festival stuff and lots of times when the fair's in town there's a lot of sharpened swords there yeah it could be that i mean he finds one at the uh well i guess he finds uh the sheath at the the sheriff station but that doesn't actually mean anything because everyone's going to go through the sheriff station but um i was going to say about swords oh yeah so like if Cyprus made the void tunneler with a box of void tunneler parts, it means that not everyone recognizes what those are. Otherwise they'd have been looted before. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that, that's what makes me think that she's literally just or figuratively banging rocks together and producing these things. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, sure. You give me an iron ingot and uh, a strap of leather and I'll be happy to make you a sword. Right. Like, yeah. I, I think that's what she's doing. Um, and so like, it would just mean that she can make them because she has enough crafting skills where other people don't. So that explains why they're using swords, but it's just, uh, it's, I mean, that's possible, but there's also like apparently motorcycles that run on souls. And I don't know shit about soul technology, but maybe void tunnelers 
operate on the same principle, just routed in a different way. Like maybe she took apart a soul car or something. I don't know. Yeah, totally. I think that the the void grenade that is thrown at him later, I think it had like a purple crystal on it. And yeah, it did. That's what color soul gems were. Um, so like, I'm thinking that there's a, a great chance that the void technology is powered by souls. Um, of course, that does mean that his his void tunneler is going to run out unless it, unless he can recharge it. Um, All right. But even so, like making one, uh, or I guess you know, there's no shortage of souls around. You just got to kill a zombie. Uh, oh wait, mm-hmm. zombies older than thirty? No, wait, zombies. Uh, zombies have them for as long as you want. It's not that they only last thirty minutes. It's that uh, after the thing is dead, dead, you have thirty minutes. Here we go. She says, uh, stab the spike into the heart of a heart or head of a corpse. The runes will draw the soul out. If you see someone die, you have 30 minutes to collect before the soul leaves the body. If their heart is still intact, you have maybe three minutes until they rise as one of the undead, but the soul is still retrievable as long as they're put down within the half before the half hour is up. Okay, yeah. I, I just remember that he harvested them from zombies, but I forgot how fresh those zombies were. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah, that... Uh, that was just, I, I thought about, I, I made that connection when we were talking about souls earlier and I was like, well, hold up, maybe this. Yeah. So anyway, question settled. Well done. Thank you for yeah. resolving that. So we are Dull. at, um, he's in the almost, Shire Reeves office. Yeah. And I like how there's a calendar and I did point out that he's like, oh, it's apparently whatever month. And I'm like, no, it, that's apparently whatever month it was last time someone touched the calendar. Um, yeah. like, come on, man. Anyway, uh, there, so while he's in there, he's he's looking for basically a backpack, which is also a thing you're looking for when you're playing PUBG, because um, your pockets fill up really fast, and like grabbing a backpack is one of the first things you want to do. So, although like a, to be fair, anytime you're carrying any th- amount of anything, you want a backpack. That's true. So uh, I like how. Um, oh, let's see. He we're, we're about to get to the part where he runs into the guys, right? Yes. So I want to draw attention to this thing which oh, i really Sorry. like really quick okay. this was a question about the uh the technology and the sword and guns and stuff he mentions the holtzman effect from doom or dune sorry um so oh yeah is uh i i knew you could explain that no ho, ho. you assume that it has been not years and years and years since i've read dune okay. and you are wrong uh, if Matt was here, he could totally explain it. But I believe it's something along the lines of you have to be close enough to them that your two fields can touch in order for you to penetrate their field. And therefore, melee technology uh, was really important because, you know, the shield, the, the field is around your body and uh, you can't project it with projectile weapons. So projectile weapons are basically useless. Once you're at the point where your field can interact with their field, then you can get through it. And so, you know, that's grappling stabbing that kind of stuff so like you can't throw rocks at people nope okay uh shield the effects allowed the creation of a shielding that repelled most methods of fast moving projectiles but allowed slower moving objects such as handheld knives to pass through this changes changed the nature of warfare uh conventional projectile weapons became all but mostly useless and laser weapons became incredibly dangerous okay so oh Ah. uh anyway i was curious about that um Okay, sorry. So yeah, he's at the Shire Reeves office, and I like how he's thinking. Uh, I think I hold up this quote. I wasn't really interested in a gunfight unless I was the only one that had a gun, and I think I just put yeah. my man. Um, <laughs> and that oh yeah, then it's the box of scraps. Um, okay, then he finds a fresh zombie, gets his fourth soul out of it, and or fresh corpse rather, 
And yes, then he's walking around, he's, you know, doing the smart thing, kind of creeping around the place. And it's like, oh, wait, he gets a ping for deception level three. Actually, first he gets a ping of deception level two. And oh, that's right. That, yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I don't know what your reaction was when that was read, but like, I had the same reaction he did where yeah. I froze as soon as the message came up. Exactly. Because, yeah. Yeah. Like, like he said, the, the, the last time his deception went up was when he was trying to deceive someone. And so this implies that there's someone nearby to that he has to, that he's sneaking, trying to, be stealthy around uh which first of all is just a wonderful way to use game mechanics to increase um to increase tension in a scene <laughs> but but another great thing that he does here or what i thought was a great thing anyway was that um like when you're trying to write suspense uh in a movie you just draw the scene out right you have people move slowly and the camera creeps slowly and uh, you, you have direct control of how much time has passed before the next action happens for people's, uh, you know, tension to, to rise. And in a book, you don't really have that. The closest thing you have is word count. So generally, when you're trying to increase suspense and tension, you use more words to slow down the reader between between things. And uh, sometimes that takes the... the that, that comes in the form of like describing some stuff, describing the the slow creaking sounds and things like that. And I thought he did an awesome job of not only doing that, but also like it, he incorporates rat fic tropes into it where like he's thinking, uh, he's listening closely and he's thinking, how close do people have to be? Is it a block? Like, do, do I actually have to be sneaking near people to get the deception skill up? And so he manages to pull out, draw out the word count without me even realizing he's drawing out the word count because he's like thinking about cool in-game stuff. And uh, yeah, and then the rifle pokes out. And, he, and he's established like in a way that kind of usurps the trope. Like, you know, if I guess if it was another book, it could have been, I heard a creak in the office down the hall. And then like all the description of stuff, but no, this is different. This isn't like I heard a creak. He's like, Oh, I'm, I'm being stealthy. I didn't know I was being stealthy. Shit. Uh, mm-hmm. Like this is, this is confirmation that something's up before we know what's up. It's awesome. Yes. Um, and you know, it also means that like th- this game layer is not just a delusion. It's giving him information he wouldn't have had otherwise. Yes. I think, I mean, I think we knew that. Like, I guess because I yeah, immediately knew that Amaryllis was a real name, that. but um, yeah. But yeah, like what? Yeah, you're right. Like this is the kind of thing that you know one could munchkin. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the downside is, of course, the more deception levels he gets, it'll probably be you know longer between deception levels. Um, yeah, so, so he can't really rely on it. Yeah, this won't be a very reliable spider sense, but the occasional spider sense. Um, so I liked that. Uh, I was thinking, like, you know, if if the people watching him play this at the mall um, when he's you know at the at the Roy arcade machine. They might be able to hear like the like non-diegetic music, um, but it's not in game. So he doesn't get to hear the music. Uh, Mm -hmm. So like if you're playing Skyrim and you're walking around and then the boss music kicks off, you're like, oh, shit, something's here. (laughs) Oh, God. Right. Yeah. Dragon's coming. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that can that can very often be your first clue. Yeah. And uh, so he doesn't get that. uh, But it would be really funny if he did. You know, like I can totally see why that's not a part of the game, at least yet, because like then you've got to be talking over the music that no one else can hear. Like that would just be I, maddening. That would drive us and him insane. Um, so uh, I think back there's an early episode of family guy, like in the first one or two seasons where he gets a wish and he wishes that he had theme music. 
and it I think it eventually drives him crazy and oh but everyone else can hear it too and it drives them crazy um anyway I just remember like him sitting on the bus and it's like travel music and everyone else is annoyed at him like he's playing a like blaring a uh uh CD player what do you call it boom boom box yeah okay so uh this is tight he gets another um deception as like he's like still sitting there stealthy and uh then like somebody comes into the room they're clearing it with a pistol with their with a rifle and he just jumps out pops him in the face and he gets uh like three rapid notifications in or three notifications in rapid succession but he doesn't pay attention to them which means we don't get to know what they were unless he finds the log later in the game um like of everything that you I'm know assuming he gets at least for. one of them was yeah i'm assuming at least one of them was code minion uh dispatched or whatever defeated yeah like Maybe it was critical hit, maybe pistols plus one, maybe sneak attack, something like that. Um, but yeah, definitely minion defeated. Um, and then, uh, so, so cool. The guy has a gun that uh, like looks like an earth gun, but the clip's on top and a faintly glowing red symbol on the side. Um, the rune on his hand when he landed was also red. And so, uh, you know, clearly the, what's weird is that it seems like a perfectly terrestrial gun. Right, it seems to have bullets and stuff. Um, maybe it doesn't run on gunpowder, and it just you know throws bullets like turrets from Portal. And right. uh, what powers the throwing of them is just magic. Um, I don't know, but you know it it, it shows a a weaving of technology and uh, magic beyond like you know powering a motorcycle with souls is one thing, but like doing working magic or adding working magic adding magic to a working gun is a different state of affairs. I wonder if like it just maybe sets the target on fire or something, right? Like it could do anything. Yeah. We never Man. find out. I know. I Partly speculate. because the, the gun's then destroyed by the, the, the crystal grenade. Yes. There's a dime sized uh, battery with some wires and what looked like chewing gum um, landed next to him. Wait, it didn't say it was purple. Did it? Uh, no, no. The line right before that, someone threw a small purple crystal into the room. Oh, thank you. Good. Yeah. Okay, good. So yeah, purple crystal with a battery and some wires on it. So that's some crafting, right? That's like, but I mean, that's the thing. Uh, that's all it takes is to make a, a a void bomb the size of a, basically the size of an office. And what's cool is it doesn't explode. It just voids everything in the proximity of the bomb, presumably making a big hole in the ground and like just destroying much of the office, including the skin on his like shoulder, you know, uh, inches from being annihilated next to it. Um, yeah. So, like, <laughs> there's a great line later that I'll pull out, but I also like how he unlocks Perry and increases it the first time that it happens because he deflects a fucking bullet with his sword. <laughs> yeah. um, He's pulling a sword out of his sheath and just happens to, to pull it right as he shoots at him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was an accident, but it was still, it still counts. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, the game, the game doesn't know that you did it on accident. Well, you know what? It might, but it, does, it doesn't care in this instance, right? Mm-hmm. um you parried a bullet the cats yeah that was dope well done uh so he kills the guy um let's see uh i think he gets a couple more souls the guy the first guy he kills um is annihilated by the uh uh the void bomb the void grenade uh what i like about it is like he, there's like still a couple pieces of meat that he tries to get the soul out of <laughs> which mm-hmm. why not um so let's see. Um, so he walks out of the uh, office and there's a zombie Voltron. Yeah, I thought there was something else that happened. Oh, he does pick up a gun, um, a pistol. 
So now, now, now he's got his void tunneler and a pistol. Um, I don't know if this pistol had, it didn't describe this one having a red sigil next to it or on it. So maybe this is a non-enchanted gun. Um, anyway, so, uh, where were we? Um, I, I guess it's one of those things too. And it's great. Cause I feel his desperation right before he leaves. Like there's like a bunch of paperwork just on the desk in the office. Right. And he's like, God, I want to read that shit. And it's like, and I'm thinking, God, I want you to read that shit. Like <laughs> I, I would not mind a chapter of you reading random newspapers. Like give, yeah. give me, give me some data here, man. I'm loving it. And so I feel this frustration as, as much as he does. Um, a glance tells him stuff like he recognizes what was it? Cradle King and Barber's Edict. Um, yeah, from things from games that he had run. Exactly. So he's like, okay, well, there's stuff there. I've seen it, but I'm busy. Um, I also like, I don't know if this is what it would happen. Well, I guess. So I, I'm thinking uh, the skin on his back. Um, it didn't quite crust over, but it at least dried into a sticky patch of blood on top of the raw meat of my shoulder. Um, I wonder if that is how like an actual injury like that would heal or if that's just how he's taking damage in the game not heal but settle and when i think about it i guess if i vanished the skin on my shoulder that's probably about what would happen um yeah i assume so yeah i I mainly assume so because i think alexander would have looked it up well unless this was you know a game mechanic right um yeah in which case he can do whatever he wants if you've ever like fallen off your bike and skinned skinned your leg that that's kind of what happens you get sort of this crusty bloody thing oh yeah no i mean i've been injured i'm just thinking i was i was wondering if that's how it would work or if that's how it would work if you were a video game character like yes you're going to get an injury but it's not going to sit there and bleed like it would in real life um i will think about that off air so okay so yes this is when he runs into zombie voltron which i love that's what he calls it um it's basically a big zombie made out of zombies and i think this is what was chasing those people down the street earlier except Either it grabbed more zombies to heal its hurt leg, or it's a different one. Did you, is this the same thing you pictured from before? Yes, this is the one I saw before too. Okay, yeah, uh, I know. And even though it's clearly described in the book, I'm still just picturing a giant skeleton. Um, it's not. It's not the author's fault. It's just how I'm picturing it. Especially because the first one like was pulling itself along like on its hands, and there's a boss in Dark Souls two like that. Dark Souls two or three, and. Um, that's that's just what I picture. So I'm picturing giant skeletons. But yeah, it's it's weirder than that. They're they're like held together by nothing. Like not not magic. purple not not purple magic. Well not visible purple magic. Um it's probably yeah, it's magic, no doubt, you know, but um They're it's just not, so kind of stuck together. The corpses are just kind of stuck to each other. And only kinda of stuck. Like they can they can move and twitch. It's weird. Um so it's like just something shoved them together. I like how he puts it, it's like someone made like a like a four uh like armed thing and just poured courses into it. So like it's it's kind of like I'm picturing like a like a paintball or like a, a gumball dispenser full of zombies, but in the shape of a zombie, right? Yes. Yeah. So anyway. Um then I like <laughs> I turned and ran back into Shire Reeves' office, hoping that I would figure something out. Um and then chapter five is called uh Goreon? Goryon? I, I guess. Know. I don't know what that means either. And it's the, it's I the first Google revealed nothing. Yeah, it's the first chapter name that isn't like words. Um we should we haven't said the chapter names so far. We had solely responsible and reaver were three and four. Chapter five is this made up word. Um so that's the first thing that jumps out at me in this chapter. Uh I like so he 
does he sprain his ankle like right away? Um, Pretty much. He turns around, runs back into the office and manages to sprain his ankle when he jumps over the, uh, the wrecked floor. That's right. Yeah. And like just immediately critical failure, new affliction, sprained ankle level two, speed minus two, athletics minus five, dodge minus five. So his stats are fucked as ours are when we trip, but we don't get numbers for it. Um, Yes. And uh, And now he's just stumbling as fast as he can away from the zombie. What I love about it too is like Alexander conveys like angry thinking or thinking while in pain perfectly with this. Um, when I first come into town, I had seen it chasing after people and it seemed like they had been faster than it, than it, but with my ankle all fucked up, I thought my chances were basically dog shit. And it's like, that's exactly (laughs) what thinking is like when you're in pain or you're angry. Right. Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't think, I feel like my chances were slim. It's like, yep. But my ankle all fucking hurt. I feel like it's fucking dog shit. Fucked. Fuck this. It's perfect. Um, you. He runs through a pet shop, uh, I guess, hoping that the zombie will get slowed down trying to push through the things. And the like, this is cool ass image. The pet shop was a nightmare of glowing red eyes, all of them looking my way. Like, I absolutely saw that in my head, and it was awesome. Oh, yeah, it's spooky and no electricity, you know, so it's going to be dark in there. Um, it's, uh, it's a fun image. I also loved how Zombie Voltron had broken out of the sheriff's office, hopefully twisting his own ankle in the process. <laughs> Damn it! No such luck. <laughs> on on a meta level of this, like the you know, and the, this is consistent. I think with you know, I think I've only read three or four of Alexander's stories, and they're mainly serious. Um, you know, like they have, their, they have their funny moments, but like this is the kind of like I don't know, like this is a serious scene. Oh my god, he's hurt. He's he's got a broken, he's got a sprained ankle, and he's got a you know part of his shoulder is missing, and he's being chased by a zombie Voltron, and yet like. I laugh out loud reading that because like it's, you know, it's in his own thoughts. He's like, I'll be strange this fucking ankle. And it's like, what's his ankle? It's like, it's a, it's a horde. It's a, it's a ball of zombies, but like, it's just, I don't know. It makes me laugh. And it does it during the middle of a, of a tension scene. It's hilarious. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, he busts out the back of the pet store and in an alley, someone goes and calls him over. Yeah. And it's the dude who tried to get them to cooperate on the plane. Co-op guy. Yay. He survived. Of course he did, because this encounter was script. I don't know. Uh, th- this encounter feels less scripted to me than the one with uh, um, Cyprus, which I'm going to call her okay. that because her longer name is not what she wants to go by, and uh, I don't remember it. So um, the uh, yeah, I mean, this, this seems like an optional encounter, you know, because he was in the area. This happens, right? Okay. Um, yeah. So, which I mean, that's how life works. Um, Speaking yes. of, there's a delightful thought that it, I forget if it's somewhere in this when he's like, I don't have a health bar. So like, how am I going to know when I'm near death? And then he's like, oh, right. Just like I did back on Earth. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's perfect. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, just like back on Earth, if you're near something that happens, you're near something that happens and you happen to be near these people who are like, hey, wait, hold up. You can come hide with us. And uh, um, OK. Oh, yeah. So. They, they, yeah, they invite him in to hide with them and they ask about his weapon and he says, avoid Tundler. And then we got this, uh, this info here, Powell, that's the name of the guy, Powell winced and Becca sucked air through her teeth. I shouldn't be surprised, said Powell. The exclusion zone predates the Imperial ban. So we know a few things now, like apparently there's an Imperial ban on void weaponry. Or it could be soul powered things or something, right? Um, yeah. 
So it could be this dark magic that they're going to use to power the motorcycle and this gun. Void weaponry definitely is in that bucket of banned things. And this is part of the exclusion zone that I guess was grandfathered out of that clause or um, was here before the ban came into place. So maybe like this technology has been, been banned for a thousand years. And uh, like that would just that would actually explain why there's guns and not just better void tunnelers. Right. Um, yeah. You know, it could be that there's a hard limit on how far these things can shoot and how big the holes can be or something. Or it could just be that, yeah, once they were banned, we had to find other ways to shoot people, to hurt people from across the street. Um, yeah. So. And like the, the the reaction to it mean implies to me that it's some bad juju. Like maybe it's radioactive and it'll burn your harm off eventually with repeated usage. But, you know, only after three years of cancer or something like who knows. Yeah, it's there's there's some reason that they were banned i'm guessing it's the impropriety of it like uh i i'm guessing you know for the same reason we banned bayonets you know via geneva convention it's it's a gross weapon um or it's not gross merely because of the damage it does but maybe it's gross because it's powered by something evil um all right so hold on you just said bayonets are banned yeah they've been banned i think since world war ii no i don't think they they're banned at all like i think People still use them nowadays. They're just uh, the serrated ones were banned because those were considered uh, barbaric. Right. That's what I meant. Uh, the, uh, the 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 World War II style ones that hooked onto the end of your rifle um, where it was a triangular shape that you would stab somebody with it. And what's cool about stabbing somebody with a triangle is that you can't stitch it. And it's basically guaranteed not to heal well. And so it's like a really shitty way to die. And so... I think you're still allowed to strap a knife to your gun, but I, and I mean, allowed, this is war, right? Um, right, right. But as far as I know, it was, it's like a Geneva convention prohibition, kind of like mustard gas. Like you're not supposed to, it, that's a no, no in war. Um, by whatever. I think just having bladed things on your gun is fine. It was, it was specifically that they, they like had these serrated edges that were intended to like yank someone's guts out as you pulled it out. Uh, oh. that, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm. I, it's, that worked. I. That's a piece of trivia from my head from decades past. I'm. I'm totally willing to say. I bet you're right. Um, no way. But so, irrespective of whatever it was that was banned there, it could be banned because it's a gross way to hurt somebody, like a void tunneler, or because void tunnelers run on uh, evil technology slash magic. Um, possibly souls. We don't know. Uh, yeah, it could be both. I mean, it. It doesn't seem all that much worse than being shot. Um, you know, if anything. Yeah. I might prefer to be well. I guess uh, don't make me choose. Um, depends on the bullet, right? If it, if it's mm-hmm. a if it's a sniper bullet, it makes no difference to me. You're you're going to leave an exit wound the size of a of a grapefruit in me. Um, if it's a hollow point, I might prefer to be hit with a with a void tunneler. If it's a if it's a twenty two round, man, I'd take two of those if I take a void tunneler shot. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, the exclusion zone predates the imperial ban. Yeah, predates. It's fun. Yeah, it's it's a it's a lore hint, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So what I liked about this too is they're like, hey, get in here. And just another moment of comic relief. Uh, it's like, well, you're not supposed to look to gift, gift horse in the mouth. Of course, the root of the saying is more about the appearance of propriety, since I don't think anyone expects you to just ignore the equine de- dent- dentition altogether. I don't expect... I don't think anyone expected you just to ignore equine dentition altogether. They're grazing animals. Their teeth are important. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Paul or Paul or however you say it. Um, and Becca and Sly are in there. One of these names sounds made up and Sly is, I mean, you know, it is what it is. Um, 
All names are made up, Stephen. Come on. Uh, yeah. So let's be real. Enyosh sounds like a made up name. I'm kidding. Um, uh, no, that's fair. I mean, it sounds it sounds made up in in, in uh, you know American English, but that's yeah. that's that's a whole thing. Anyway, Sly sounds like a nickname, but it doesn't really matter because Sly dies. He, he's already been shot. Yes, he's, he does. He, and he's bleeding out. And uh, he's taking it in good spirits, though. He's like, yep, going to get added to the undead army. And I like Paul. Paul is like, I feel like if I was an NPC in this world, I'd be Paul. Um, you know, he's like, it's all right, man. We'll find a way. And like, I know I'm full of shit, but what am I going to say? He's dying, right? Um, yeah. And you look like a dangerous guy. Not in my current condition. Plus, even at peak condition, I don't think I could have taken on a mountain of moving corpses or the, the moving mountain of corpses out there. Um, but I just like his, his quibby response, uh, which actually does suggest that uh, well, I mean, it's one random quip, but maybe his inability to talk to Cyprus is merely about her prettiness, not his lack of uh, investment in speech craft. But yeah. uh, he does he does roll a couple low uh, uh, he does he does land a couple low rolls on his speech craft in this scene. So um, yeah, let's let's talk about that one where after Sly dies and uh, you know they they whip his heart so he doesn't come back as a zombie. Uh, Paul and Becca say, I don't know any last rites. They do slip some coins into his mouth, though. And uh, and he decides to bust out his old GMing skills because sometimes PCs die and you have to, you know, have a quick moment of uh, paying your respects or whatever. You can't just push F in, in tabletop games. And <laughs> so he makes this cool little speech. And uh, at the end of it, Becca, like, pulls her dagger out of the floor and faces him. He's like, what the fuck is heaven? And and the other guy is like, that was really unorthodox. And Becca calls him a fucking cultist. And what the fuck is going on here, man? Yeah. So first off, she puts the obol, which is like the Greek coin, in his mouth, which I don't know if that was the Greek tradition or if it was putting on their eyes, which I'm familiar with. But this is like a related to but different than Earth sort of thing. Um and yeah, his his last rite says, "May your darkness turn to light. May your burdens lift free of your mortal soul. May you swiftly find your way in heaven and thereby find your peace." Which, hey, you know, not bad. If I was, uh, you know, unceremoniously killed by zombies and someone had a second to say something, I, I would take those as last words. But yeah, uh, she gets pissed, and uh, Paul, being the gentle NPC, uh, he's like, "Hold up, you know, no, just calm down." But that was uh, that was unorthodox, and. Um, uh, so yeah, what do I, what do I take from that? I mean, uh, she says, what the fuck is heaven? And then she says like cultist. So like, it wasn't the heaven part that made her like call him a cultist. It was something about may his soul do something. Um, mm-hmm. I think was the, the trigger phrase there. Um, like, yeah, may you fate, may you, may your soul thereby find peace. Like I, I'm trying to think like, it seems unlikely that you'd have two people, I mean, clearly, uh, Cyprus is better educated, like about the world, because she knows about Dream Skewer and how to make a void tunneler and all this stuff. But like, I was going to say, maybe they're thinking like, you know, they're just, you know, some, you know, red blooded new atheists. And they're like, you, you're saying heaven? Screw you. Um, I jest, of course, but, you know, turn turn their new atheism up to 12. Uh, so it, it, it could be that, but it seems like, no, it's not it's not that they're talking about heaven. It's like, you know, th- this what what's this culty shit talk of souls you're talking about? But do they not believe in souls? Like, what do they think powers these motorcycles? Like, so maybe they, maybe they're, they maybe they're aware of that tech. Souls. Huh? 
they they have to believe in souls. Well, it's like it's possible that like they've never seen the soul harvesting technology before. And like for oh, all they know, uh, you know, it's like this is just you know, for, I guess for all I know, that's like totally outside of their realm of experience, right? Um, well, yeah, but the, the Cypress called it an a uh, XC class soul cycle. Like, I think no, that's Cypress just the knows name about souls. I'm thinking that uh, um, that it's possible that uh, what is it, Becca and Paul don't. Um, okay, but that 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 but that strikes me as unlikely. So then I'm wondering, like, what is the part that they find so offensive here? Um, yeah. What What exactly did he say that really got to them? So I've, ru- I've we've ruled out the heaven part. We've ruled out the fact that he mentioned souls. It's I think it's just the idea of like afterlifeism, maybe. Like he, he's he's implying here. You know, you don't have to know what heaven is, but if I say may your soul go somewhere, it's like what do you mean go somewhere? Fuck you. Souls. Everyone knows that souls just return to the earth or something, right? Um, right, right. But even even that's not murder somebody offensive, um, yeah. unless it's like. You know this reminiscent of some disgusting old cult, you know, of necromancers, right? Um, oh yeah, it could be thing in their past that he's in, in invoking here. Yeah, uh, so something's up there. Um, but yeah, that is that is, that was a fun beat. Um, I, I mentioned this in passing, but this is he tries to like excuse his his uh, like uh, rudeness, his accidental rudeness by yeah, sorry, not from here, dream skewered. I don't know, sorry, man. Um, and Dream Skewer doesn't do, you know, doesn't register with them at all. Um, yeah, so, I don't know what that is. Right, so that's that's where I'm thinking that it's not impossible that they're just like unaware of souls, and they find that whole talk like, oh come on, you're a soulist, forget that. Um, but like, and you know, like, I, am I connecting these dots at all articulately? I think it's possible that because they're unaware of Dream Skewering, that they might be unaware of souls, not because the souls and Dream Skewering are related, but because. Uh, to know about dream skewering, you have to hit some level of education. They may have just missed that. You know, it's like, I don't know, some secret part of society that they're unprivy to. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I, like, I don't play as great. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's very likely. Yeah. I was just trying to explain right. what I was rambling about before. Okay. Yeah. I, I think, I think the main thing is the afterlifeism that really pissed them off. Uh, I think that they believe in souls. I think that they, uh, although, you know, maybe it's the idea that like, you know, June's talking about souls like they're a thing that does stuff and they know that souls are just life force. And right. there's something really offensive about this talk that souls are things. Um, Maybe it's related to that the way they, uh, the way that um, Cypress reacted, reacted to him saying the Z word. Yeah, totally. It's It's got to be, you know, all these, because uh, A, everything is a clue, nothing is coincidence, but B, um, like the... It's zombies. Zombies and souls are are uh, you know they're they're hand in hand. Um, mm-hmm. And if 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 zombies off the table because it's like it was point a gun at him blasphemous to say zombie, then it's pull a knife blasphemous to say something weird about souls. Yeah, it, that checks. Um, so, so like I, like I said, dream skewer doesn't register with them though. So like that's not he doesn't get to say sorry. I'm not from around here. <laughs> yeah. What does register with them, though, is when he says that he already killed four of the uh, of the fuchsia coterie, and like they go pale, and Becca's like, "Who the fuck are you?" And I don't know. Looking back on it, it didn't seem like that hard a thing for him to do. But on the other hand, like in his very first fight with the fuchsia coterie person, he got his arm broken, and if he hadn't leveled up, he'd basically be dead. Because 
in a battleground, you got your arm broken, you're you're out, you know? Yeah. So, and then the only reason he didn't get snuck up on and shot to death by the dude with the rifle is because he had the game layer tell him about the deception thing. So, like, he, he's actually got all sorts of cool-ass superpowers here that, that's letting him kick the shit out of the, the NPCs or the people or whatever. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's... It, you know, it doesn't seem like they're this overpowered, super strong mercenary group. Like, it, it doesn't seem like without with some basic sufficient training, or at least a void tunneler when they're coming at you with sharp sticks, like, uh, saying that, yeah, I killed four, and they're like, oh my god, you're a badass. It's like, dude, I've got a gun. They had pipes. Like, that, that, that is, that's believable. But, um, it, apparently, yeah, but most- he, he seems to be having an easier time with them than even that would, like, they would expect from that, right? So... And part of that, like you said, is because he gets all these perks. He gets to he gets uh, spider sense, knowing that they're coming. Uh, he gets to heal his wounds every once in a while. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, like he's he's got uh, powers that let him come out of these these uh, these things unscathed. So, um, and speaking of healing his wounds every once in a while, he decides to grind some XP. I totally. I do have a a quick thing because maybe they didn't see any of the purple haired or the the people on the plane. Um, like Becca or Paul, but like mm-hmm. there are people with pink Mohawks on there. Right. And yeah. I guess what that means is that the fuchsia coterie is not recognizable to the average pedestrian, uh, on site. They recognized fuchsia coterie. They're like, wait a minute. You said, he's like, well, the coterie is here for a reason. And they're like, wait, say that again. And they're like, no, wait, oh, you said yeah. coterie as in the fuchsia coterie. And he's like, yeah, color riot, I think. And they're like, holy shit. And it's like, who'd you guys think those people with pink Mohawks were? So apparently, like yeah. the legend of these people gets around, but not what they look like. Um, you know, not not the uniform of Pink Mohawk. Right, that is true, and that's also like weird because generally the legend is much more useful if people associate the legend with a uniform. <laughs> I know, right? So, so they know to be scared of you. <laughs> right. Oh my God, the Black Swordsman, the guy who wears all black and has a black cape and the giant sword. Like. That's why we call him that. Why do you think they call him the fuchsia coterie? They're wearing something fuchsia. Um, and so, yeah, like the legend of their badassness has gone around and they're like, oh, holy shit. They're here. We're fucked. And he's like, not that fucked. I killed four of them. And it's like, holy shit. We're, we got a badass over here. Um, <laughs> and uh, then, yeah, if we were getting to this where he's he does exactly what I would do, and I love it so much. He's like, okay, well, you know, I'm limping pretty bad. My shoulder hurts. But, uh, you know, before we go to the safe place I know about, I have an idea of how to fix my problems. And she's like, he's insane. So this is the confirmation for me that not everybody has the video game layer. I thought that uh, up until right at this line that um, that Cypress might have been lying to him about, oh, I've never heard of the video game layer. You're You're crazy. Shut up. Um, like for reasons, whether it's to move the conversation along, to get him to go hurry up and get the souls, or because it wasn't that part of the story for him to have that conversation yet. But yeah. the the fact that Becca and Paul, uh, like it could just be that they're you know lower level NPCs or something, but um, they they don't have the game layer, right? So yeah, uh, they they see him and he's like, oh yeah, I've got um you know the uh uh um. I've got this great idea. I don't know how much he explains to him. We get a line break. I'm assuming he, he says... He doesn't explain anything, it sounds like. Well, I mean, they're waiting he for some reason. like he had magic, right? Yeah. Yeah. If I kill enough zombies, some magic will happen. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that he's holding, like, by the way, I'm in a video game and I'm from I'm from a place called Earth. Um, but I wonder if he said, I'm going to go kill some zombies and then I'll heal up. I'm assuming that's all he said. Like, 
because they're, they're waiting for him. He gives one of them a gun. So like in case he gets killed, they're not defenseless. And uh, which is also super trusting of him because Paul could have shot him in the back. Um, That's true. But this is the guy who's been screaming co-op since the you know opening cutscene. He's not going to shoot him in the back. So, and he you did. Know, that's that's he gave the he gave the gun to Paul, not not Becca, because she seems more bloodthirsty. Absolutely, that is. I think. See, I never even stopped to think that like uh, Cypress was you know hiding that information from him, and that like this didn't even occur to me because when I was reading this, I was at the point where I was just like reading, you know. Like, uh, I wasn't stopping to sit down and think. And you've had, like, a week since the, these three chapters were read. So, I, I you know. Oh, yeah, my brain's It's gonna... interesting having that extra time to think. It, it's, it's, uh, it's a fun and unique place to be. Um, like, for, I mean, this is the other side of the, the microphone from, you know, with me and Metropolitan Man and Methods of Rationality. Like, uh, you know, hearing Brian come up with all these crazy things. And it's like, oh, well, I mean. Now I totally get it. You had a week to sit on this short amount of reading and think about it. So like, of course you're going to fill the, the, the subsequent six days with some random shit. Um, I would too. And uh, so it's, it's, I, I don't know. It's funny how that works out. Um, but uh, yeah, when I was reading through this too, I also made an effort to like not read it all in one sitting. So between when I read this, you know, him leaving the, the uh, mechanic shop, and him getting to the scene had probably been at least a day and a half. So I'm sitting there tossing, tossing all this around. But yeah, while you're reading through it at the speed of eyesight, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, you don't have time to go off on these these wild tangents. Uh, so anyway, he does the badass thing, which I wish he could hang out all day. But the game clearly has repercussions of him trying to do that. Um, he's he's just sitting there, you know, pot shotting zombies in the heart, and uh, you know, boom, pistols level four, zombie defeated. And uh, this is where he mentions, I wondered how close I was, you know, how I briefly wondered how I was supposed to tell how close I was to death until I thought, just like you did on Earth, dummy. Uh, it's fucking perfect. Um, so zombie defeated. And he's like, oh, cool. This thing fires every four seconds. She's like, I thought you said you had magic. And he's like, you know, in his head, he's just like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm getting there. Um, another zombie down. And he's like, come on, man. That's three fuchsia coterie people. And uh, what? Three zombie or wait. I don't know, whatever. That's like five dead things that I killed. I've been leveling up fast. It's got to be any any second now, game. Come on. <laughs> um, he gets three more, so he's got six zombies. I guess zombies are real low XP. Uh, maybe... Or maybe know. like the XP curve on this thing is really high, and you need like to get twice as much each time, or ten times more each time. Yeah, it's possible. I'm trying to think... Uh, I, you know, I'd have to read these five chapters again to see like how much stuff he does between level ups i sure hope it's not that steep um in which case because if it is man he is, he is started getting, yeah in dnd it got really bad like by by level by level seven or eight it was starting to be painful but like by the time you're at level 16 it was ages until the next level but like you know i guess uh you know in dnd somebody you know the gm is assigning xp for stuff so like if you did manage to kill a dragon, you might earn three levels at once, right? Um, no. So, if you if that happened, you have a bad DM. You never earn multiple levels at once. Okay, fair enough. So that's that's Dungeons Dragons, but that can happen in video games. Um, yes. So in in video games, if you do a crazy awesome thing way early, it's like, oh damn! Well, killing the dragon is worth ten thousand experience. Right now, you only need a thousand experience to level up. So you know, we curve that out, and boom, you've got four levels. Um, if the XP, uh, you know, level up 
uh, chain for him is that steep that man, maybe he did ruin uh, some opportunities by putting it all in physical. Um, he doesn't spend uh, these um, skill points yet though. Cause he's busy. So maybe he'll put these ones somewhere different than physical. Um, yeah. Anyway, so and the reason he's busy is because we get to find out how zombie Voltrons are formed. That's right. When someone's trying to farm XP from zombies, or if you just get enough of them in one place. <laughs> the, I, I, yes, I assume it's the once there's enough of them in one place being agitated. See, I would think that too. Yeah, maybe the being agitated part is the key because like they were already all standing around, and now there's yeah. strictly less of them than there were five minutes ago, right? Yeah, um, but so, now they like I have this one focus that they're all yeah focusing yeah. on and that's that's what draws them together i think which is actually like just mechanically a really cool idea for um you know whatever intelligence is behind the zombies it occurs to me uh june never thinks like man i wish i hadn't made zombie voltrons zombie voltrons I mean, might he doesn't they, they might be an original oh, oh, thing oh yeah you're right because he doesn't say anything about that and he speculates like how do you kill one of these and he, he doesn't uh-huh. know and so, yeah, this is uh, this is the game taking his idea of zombies and doing something extra with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, didn't didn't quite think of that until just now. Um, all right, well, that's I interesting. Also, had not. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, because I guess you know you're at the point now where like tons of stuff has happened that he didn't. You know, if he if he saw everything coming all the way up to whatever chapter you're on, like that would be kind of boring. Um, right. So clearly, you know, there's there's original stuff that happens, but this is the first one I've seen. I mean, other than maybe the soul cycles, he didn't he didn't mention those. Maybe he did have soul powered somethings. Um, so, I mean, the world is obviously influenced by his stuff because we've seen a bunch of things that he's done being in the world directly. But he also, yeah, he didn't have soul cycles. He didn't have these uh, zombie Voltrons. So it's it's some mixture of new stuff and his stuff. Yeah, I and Void Tunnelers, too, is new to him because he didn't know really how it yeah. worked. Or like what it did. He's like, well, it doesn't leave an exit wound. Uh, and so, yeah, it is new stuff. I guess the the grenade is maybe the first main thing too. Um, I should have seen this earlier. Yeah. So like up until recently, I was thinking like maybe everything in here is some mishmash of something he's thought of at some point. Um, you know, again, everything in the sheriff's office was, including the sheriff's office. So like, yeah. um, you know, clearly lots of it is. Lots of the world. Um, maybe it's that... Uh, you know, the world is spawned from his his games and his ideas, but the like the consequences of that, you know, you you take his ideas, fast forward time by a thousand years on uh like letting it run through that world, and you get stuff like void tunnelers and zombie Voltrons. Um, yeah, totally. Okay, yeah. All right. So I wanted to to mention that because um I had another oh yeah, I pulled this out. So right before he gets the level up, um he just he gets another shot at a zombie and he gets critical hit pistols level five zombie defeated level up um we were talking about it last episode where like maybe a critical hit was you know something cool happened because he rolled a natural 20 um Mm -hmm. nothing happens on this critical hit that's unusual like he gets more xp maybe um maybe maybe it gave two xp or you know two two times xp um yeah but it, it doesn't like and that zombie exploded when he shot it or something right um right so nothing happens on the level up but it's too busy we've got and he even says this and i love it so much because i do this you know with everything that i can squeeze it into zombie voltron 2 electric boogaloo <laughs> and like, 
I think I, I think at some point I just texted that to you. Like, you know, obviously, you know, no context, but you know what I was talking about. But I just mm-hmm. at the same time that I was highlighting that text in the story, I also just hit copy and just sent you Zombie Voltron 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> So they're 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 escaping from Zombie Voltron too. Um, oh yeah, obviously the level up uh, freaks out Becca and June or uh, Paul, and they're like, yeah, they're Whoa. like, what the fuck? I don't know if the does he glow when it happens, or does he just briefly hover, or did he just heal? Um, uh, the last two times it was described, it sounded like a golden glow came out of him, and he hovered above the ground like an inch or two. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I wondered, you know, like the the hovering would be hard to make it just him but the the glowing could be just something that he would see but in any case they see something weird happen at the very least they see his shoulder bind up him probably hover off the ground for a second and then now he can run so um yeah they're like oh he's not crazy well he's crazy but he's uh he's on to something he has magic but but more importantly we need to get the hell out of here so um they're like escaping through a an alleyway as they're running from this and it's like two blocks to the uh to the mechanic shop and you know two blocks isn't nothing but it makes it seem like, all right, how big is Zombie Voltron? Because they mentioned, uh, like in the the first one that he saw chasing those people down the street, he said that it would have difficulty hiding behind a gas station. Yeah. And so I'm picturing like something the size of a of a modestly sized building. And I, so yeah, I, I was thinking not a modestly sized, but like a small building. Like gas stations are usually pretty small; they're a single level. You but know, if you just, have a hard time hiding behind it, that means he's bigger than a small building. But yeah, so right, yeah, yeah, slightly bigger than a small building. So like, uh, I mean, the the one that couldn't keep up with them on uh, when they're running down the street had a broken leg. Like this one is just like it can presumably run, and it's slowed down by merely stuff in its way. But then, like, I guess maybe if it were like try to punch its way through a building, a bunch of the zombies would break. So like, it doesn't do you know, that. Um, yeah, they wasn't able to squeeze through the alley. Well, I mean, squeezing is one thing, but why not just smash, like, or uh, or or step o- or jump over the building? Like, yeah, it's it's not very structurally. It is still made sound. out of human corpses. Yeah. yeah. So whatever whatever is binding these together isn't like insanely durable. I'm guessing that if it, it took a full at swing at the at the building, zombies would either just like they probably just like splatter and fall off. Yeah, like what would happen if you swung twenty people at the side of a building? You'd have 20 splatted people. You're right. Every time I've done that, that's what I get. So, um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, like it can't get them through alleys, but I guess I brought up, I wanted to, to sidebar on its size. Cause I just feel like, you know, if you're running down the street from this thing and it's, and the, the, the one that was on its, on its basically abdomen crawling after the people down the street would have a hard time hiding behind a gas station. Maybe he meant if it was standing, but I'm picturing this thing at like, you know, 40 feet tall. You know, so we got 20 feet of legs. How is it not just like catching up to them immediately? Maybe again, they're ducking around stuff, but it says things like cars and whatever. Um, but yeah, I guess alleyways. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I pictured it more like, I don't know, 15 feet tall. What? And, you know, I guess the other main Maybe thing too. 20. Yeah, you're right. It, could, it doesn't have to be, yeah, 40 feet is pretty, pretty freaking tall. Um, but I guess the other thing I was thinking of is like, it's still just a zombie. So like I I'm picturing like oh it went Voltron it's gonna go like full 28 days later zombie on him no it's still it's still a shambling zombie but it's now shambling at you know 30x the size of a regular zombie right um, yeah or with the combined weight of whatever right however many zombies it takes to fill a Voltron okay cool got it I was I was basically just wondering like how is it not more of a threat even though it's very threatening but it's because it's still just a shambling you know 
instead of being a shambling corpse, it's a shambling corpses. Um, oh, hey, here's the thing. He fired the Void Tunneler at it and got a critical hit. And uh, one of the zombies fell out uh, fell out of the abomination with a hole through its heart. Yes. Uh, maybe critical hit means that like he just managed to hit it in the heart, even if he wasn't necessarily like aiming at the heart or wasn't aiming very well. The critical hit just makes it an automatic heart shot. That's possible. I I I mean, it's it's either. So I guess I don't know if you're if you're coming at this from like knowledge of understanding that yes it does work on dice rolls or if you're just like conveying that's what you were thinking the first time you read it and I have no way of distinguishing uh, between your your interpretation at the time and your interpretation now um, but to me I still think that like oh it's a critical hit because he hit its heart like right it's but that would that would mean that every critical hit or every heart hit would be a critical hit and they weren't yeah so I guess. Like I, I just, but I, I pulled up both of those because nothing happens on that boring critic, or nothing happens on that critical hit. Um, like, yeah, he hits one, uh, but that's it, and that's that's nothing unusual because he's he's he shot lots of zombies in the heart. Um, yeah. But you're right, maybe it, you know, he took a pot shot at the the mountain of of zombies and happens to hit one in the heart because he rolled a twenty. Um, that's possible, uh, you know. And we were talking about this briefly on Discord, but. You know, if, if he has time to reflect on that bike ride about how this shit works, he better start just dumping stats into luck. Um, <laughs> like the returns on luck in Fallout are are modest, but like by the end of it, you get plus ten percent chance to critical hits. Um, Dude, the the returns on luck in real life are huge. Well, it, it's it too depends. bad we can't. Like, it depends on how much. Like, what does one luck get you in real life? Yeah, yeah. So, like, all right, that's true. Maybe if you dump all your points into luck, you've gimped everything else so badly that that you uh can't do anything or or maybe it means that you merely win 60 percent of coin tosses right right like yeah. instead, of, instead of the average of 50 um so like still it, that's enough to get rich in vegas until they kick you out yeah i mean yeah so it's it's not necessarily a dump stat but it's not like a a um a, a complete world changer i mean frankly he needs to be putting all of his points into crafting um, but we'll, we'll get there. He's got to craft something first and then he can start dumping points into that. Um, yep. All right. So while they're running, uh, like they're running down an alley and it's like trying to get through and it like, I guess, thwips uh, uh, Becca into a, into a wall and yeah. uh, taking it like a champ. She's like, I'm fine. And like, just get me a bucket and a towel and I'll be fine. Like, you know, right. you know she's, she finally then acknowledges like, Oh yeah, you know what? I'm a, uh, I'm I'm totally She's bored. Up. I will let you carry me. And yeah. what I like about like this At first, too, he just kind of like has his arm under her and is helping her along. But eventually he's like, this is too fucking slow. And he picks her up and just runs with her, which right. he can do now that he put two points into or all his points into the fist at. That's right. Um, I think that the other reason they didn't pick her up right away is because she kept like trying to insist. Like, I, it's fine. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. And then he's like, and then once she finally acknowledges that, no, I'm not, then he gets to. What's fun about him running back like a hero to save her, which is one one ought to do because he's a hero in a game, um, is like he does it because he's a hero in a game. Um, I don't know, you know, the other people, well, the other person, I, I don't maintain that he did anything wrong by hiding from zombie Voltron, right? His second, uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, cowardice debuff i i call bullshit on that one the first one i understand even though i agree with june's position of like it made sense not to run into that horde the first one i get like in a game i would give a negative one courage for that too right um yeah but uh 
in this, he runs back. I, th- I, I, I guess what I'm wondering is like, I think he does it explicitly and I can't remember. I, I, I didn't read the last like uh, part of this chapter twice. I only read it once. Cause what I try to do or what I've been trying to do so far is I'll read the, I'll read my first read through at almost as quickly as I can while trying to take it slow. And then my second read through, I do in the couple days leading up to the recording. And okay. uh, so far that has led to me not finishing the last chapter both times on my second read. Um, did he run back and get her explicitly so he wouldn't get a third cowardice debuff? Or did he go back and rescue her and then think, oh, good, I'm not going to get a third cowardice debuff? So here's the line. Uh, she falls to the ground, slamming her head on the cement. This was the moment that I had been dreading. If I had to take a stab at what the rule for cowardice was, it meant not helping people in need in order to increase my own chances of survival. I turned back toward Becca and sprinted. So he he did explicitly think that, crap, I can't take another cowardice. Yeah. I think. At no. least that's the way I interpret it. No, I mean, it, it sounds sounds right to me. I mean, like, it could also be that he's like, well, shit. Like, I got to do the heroic thing, not only because I have to, but because I'd be fucked if I didn't. Um well, and also because he he does mention this earlier in the chapter, there are certain game systems where having a stat reduced to zero it means death. Like in traditional D anD D, if your endurance goes to zero or constitution, they call it sorry, uh, goes to zero, you just flat out die irrecoverably, and it's over. And uh, that there's bad things for all the stats going to zero. So you know, if you got another cowardice, he might just go straight into a coma and get eaten by zombies. So yeah, he had no fucking choice in the matter. Right. But I guess what I meant by like no choice is like he didn't go back because that's what heroes do. He went back because I don't want to get uh zero in endurance. And so yeah. like it I, I'm I'm a little disappointed because his motivation was selfish. Um like don't get so me wrong, he I, still did the right thing, but yeah. like uh he did it he, he did it. Kant wouldn't have agreed with why he did it, but you know, uh, yes, Mill would have. <laughs> so I, I first of all, I agree with you that it's a little disappointing for a hero to have to be, you know, prodded by something like that. But I like it for two reasons. The first reason being that it's true to his character. Everything that we've seen about him so far is that he's more of a practical, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't want to die kind of person. He's not a hero. He's he's just a guy that got stuck in this world and. A guy like that might not be a hero, and like he specifically was not at first. But I, the much more interesting thing to me is that by being forced to save her, he gets really emotionally invested in saving her to the point where at the end of this big action sequence, he really wants her alive. And when she ends up dying, spoiler, she dies. Uh, he he is genuinely upset. Like he's as pissed off as if this was the thing that he had really wanted to do from the very beginning. And I think that is um, very true to real human psychology that just doing a thing, even if you don't want to do it ends up getting you emotionally invested in it anyway. And I really liked that. And I really liked feeling the same way he did where I was like, Oh God, I don't want to go back for her either, but I guess I have to because the game. And then I got wrapped up in it too, by the end where when she died, I was also pissed off. I was like, God fucking damn it. That's not fair. Yeah. It's uh, and you're right. So like spoiler, she dies. That's what happens. But also another possible spoiler. I think you may maybe you're just uh, leaning ahead like I'm hoping you'd said that he doesn't he hasn't embraced his role as a hero yet or something. And I'm like, oh, yes, yet, because eventually he will realize you need to be the hero of the story. Um, I mean, but yeah, that's that's not spoiler. That's just uh, like 
obviously. Um, right. This 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 is going to be him coming around to realizing. Oh, I mean, plus too, like you know. So you're right. He's a practical guy, right? Um, he might not be the guy that I want next to me running from a zombie uh, Voltron, unless he, I happen to know that he will die if he doesn't help me. Uh, but uh, <laughs> other than that, he's the guy who would leave me in the alley to buy himself five seconds. Um, which you know. <sighs> It's not evil. I don't think he would if he knew you, just like if you were a total stranger. But that's the thing. So that's that's why I brought up the girl at the gas station because, you know, sorry, I just got here and this is weird. I I, I can't, you know, I can't run in there right now. Also, who are you? This one, he knows Becca. Not not for long, but, you know, they've, they've it's, it's one thing to let, you know, that random girl die. It's another thing to let Becca die, right? Granted, it's, I mean, it's sort not, of, they, but they, they don't they don't go way back. But they go back yeah. long enough to have exchanged names. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, so yeah, okay, he knows her name, but she's been explicitly violent toward him when he made a bad prayer or something, and she got dropped out of the plane, which means she was probably criminal of some kind. I mean, I don't know. It sounds like maybe he was a political prisoner that was distributing uh, pamphlets, so maybe <laughs> she didn't deserve to be dropped out of the plane. But again, I, I I'm not. I'm still not sure it's worth, I guess that's the difference between a hero and a regular person. Cause a hero would have been like, yeah, fuck it. Everyone deserves to, to be saved. And I'm going to, I'm going to take the chance. Well, and I mean, to be fair too, like a real hero might also wait, you know, like I'm not going to risk the world on a 1% chance of dying, trying to save you. If it means that right. otherwise I'm able to save the world. Granted, he's not thinking world scale stuff yet, but like, you know, in the back of his mind, if he hasn't considered the idea, like if I'm the only one leveling up here, I can I can take over the world. Um, then you know, if he hasn't had that thought yet, he will soon. And at that point, it makes sense to not risk everything to save every person. Um, yeah. Every every single person, it, it it does make sense to risk everything to save the planet. But you know what I mean. Um, right. Anyway, yeah. So, but I'm with you, right? Uh, as far as what you said about like, so he runs back together for. Ultimately, selfish reasons. But um, while he's doing it, it's like, okay, now that I'm here, now I actually care about what I'm doing, not merely because of my stats. Like now, I've got this person I'm trying to save. And yeah. uh, in true Alexander Wales fashion, she gets brutally killed, and yes. um, it's it's tight. Uh, so um, on the plus side, his cowardice affliction is removed. Um, but naturally, he's pissed and. Uh, I, you described it really well as you were kind of amping up to it. But the, the quote was, I swore as I ran, cursing the injustice of it, the raw unfairness of trying to do the right thing and seeing it all fall apart anyway. This is how I felt after Arthur died. This furious anger at the world that was so indifferent to us, a burning desire to punch God and or to find God and punch him in his fat fucking nose or fat, his fat fucking face for letting such a thing like this happen. Um, yeah. And that was, I think, one. I mean, I've already been really sucked in the story by this point. But like that is the I love this point for me because I, who I mean how is that not an encapsulation of everything that's wrong with the world? Like if a god exists, we should find him and make him fucking pay for this brutal, indifferent world. And I, I mean, he, he just got me right there. And gods aside, the next part is the attitude of every aspiring world changer i'd grab this stupid fucking world by the neck and bend it to my will if i had to i would mold and shape it against its protest until nothing was so shitty as that i'd been yeah um yeah that seems to be a common ratfic thing too totally and not 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 uh um not an unnecessarily rare thing among actual rationalists too uh yeah yeah so 
Um, the world sucks and it should be made better. Totally. Most of us just acknowledge that and then go about doing our normal thing. But uh, some people uh, try to actually do something about it, <laughs> um, which more power to them. I think it's tight. So uh, let's see. Um, I Like I said, this is the part where I stopped getting caught up to. Um, and it, we're basically there. So I got almost all the way to the end. But uh, yeah, just so, a few paragraphs. So she, so she dies and then he's pissed. And then he's sneaking back up to the gas station or to the auto mechanic shop. Yeah, he makes it to the auto mechanic shop, and uh, Paul is already there at the front door. Oh yeah, and he and he's he's psst again. So yeah. uh, that seems to be like just his default way of getting people's attention. Like, psst, hey, over here. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so then he goes. Let's see. Right, so they're outside together, and then yeah, um, oh yeah, and he's like, oh yeah, Becca didn't make it, and then uh, oh yeah, so he goes in. I thought I was trying to remember if uh, if Paul had been there first or not, but no, he waited outside because there were zombies around. And uh, then he goes in and Cypress is like, oh, hey, um, except this time with a rifle instead of a gun. And um, then uh, she's like, were you followed? Like, no, but I brought company. And she's like, come on, man, get out of the, you know, move out of the way. Let me point my gun at him then. And um, then he recognizes so Paul, her. Paul steps in. Yeah. yeah. And he says, holy shit. And he's like, yeah, man, that was my reaction. But at least I was polite enough not to say it. Um, but that wasn't, I mean, maybe he was saying, holy shit, for two reasons. One, we're looking at a 15 over here. And two, Princess Amaryllis, I pledge myself to your service. Yes. As he goes down to his knees. Oh, Cypress rolls her so, eyes. I missed that my first read through. That's hilarious. Yeah, he gets on his knees and bows and she rolls her eyes at him. So she's clearly not into this whole princess business. Right. So now we know that Cyprus is a princess and apparently the princess of this kingdom because she is known by sight uh, by one of her subjects and he pledges himself to her service. So she's known on site so, wearing a bloody white t-shirt and yet he doesn't recognize the fuchsia coterie. Um, not really calling bullshit other than saying that's interesting. And I mean, I would imagine in a monarchy, pretty much everyone knows what their monarchs look like, right? Yeah, and everyone knows what the, you know, the enemy's elite guards look like, too. I would, yeah, I would think. I mean, again, everyone knows that you know the stormtroopers are the ones in the white armor, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, anyway. Um, I, I and again, I'm not calling bullshit. I'm saying that's an interesting thing that I, I bet will you know will have something going on there. Like, uh, just maybe again, legend of the future coterie is out there, but like you know, maybe they don't. Maybe no one knows what it looks like because they don't leave survivors. <laughs> Maybe, um, they, maybe they shouldn't have used such a weird word like fuchsia that the uneducated don't know it means sort of a pinkish purple thing. That's a possibility. They should have called themselves the pink pummelers. <laughs> the purple people eaters. Um, yeah. Of course, then they'd have to eat people and that might be exhausting, but you know, it is what it is. Um, all right. So I didn't put this out as like a prediction at the beginning, which I should have. Um, and I don't get credit for it now, but like the second that it says, uh, um, whatever uh, affinity level one or whatever loyalty level with um, Amaryllis. And I'm like, okay, she gave a fake name. Totally a princess. Um, I, I, yeah. I Not only did I know immediately that the game was right and that that was her real name. I'm like, oh, she's definitely hiding it because she's a princess. Like my example that I gave, she can and Zelda, right? Um, mm-hmm. So uh, that, that, yeah, I, I don't get, so I, first I, don't, of I, don't, all- I don't get a point for that because I didn't write it down, but and it, Good I don't call. Know. I yeah. uh, I did not pick that up on my first thing that she was definitely a princess. So, well, again, most not, impressive. I, I don't know that it's definitely, but like I, I you know, otherwise I'd have written it down. I, I think it's because I didn't quite make it explicit. But in hindsight, obviously she's a princess, 
right? Okay. She wouldn't be anything so else. So I didn't spoiler it last week then, because last week, as soon as I it came out of my mouth that uh, when I saw her, I pictured her as the uh, the princess from Captain Nintendo. Like the second I said that, I was like, "Oh, son of a bitch!" I've just implied that she's a oh. prince, a princess. No, not at all. And I really hope he didn't pick up on that. No, well done. Um, like that's good. So this will be one of the fun things of navigating from your seat. That like, wait, is that a spoiler? Is that a spoiler? Um, <laughs> yes. like. You know, you're allowed to point out that, uh, you know, um, whatever, Quirrell did something to the Pioneer plaque that made it magical and, and last forever. We know from canon that that's what happens with uh, um, Horcruxes. Um, yeah. So, like, you know, it, you're allowed to draw attention to it. And I guess that's still different, though, than like, uh, you know, but saying it reminded me of a princess, you know, that that that's, I mean... You know, okay. I guess if, not, okay. if I picture a very bosomy Princess Zelda, that might as, be, might as well be what I picture too, right? I can't remember what color her hair is supposed yeah. to be. Um, was it blonde or red or brown? Uh, Cypress. Zelda? No, Zelda's oh, blonde. Cypress. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Cypress is red. Like, okay. red. So I'm trying to think of any... I mean, oh wait, Peach has red or blonde hair too, but uh, Daisy is Daisy. No, that's brown. You know what? I can't think of any red-haired princesses other than uh, Ariel from... Um, the Little Mermaid. And I don't even know if she's a princess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she is. Oh, good. Well, great. So we got a red-haired princess. Um, you know, it, gingers need more re- representation in Disney, so... Uh, True that. Oh, no, wait. There's that one that came out that I haven't seen with, like, the little curly-haired archer girl. Oh, yeah. Not Braveheart, but um, <laughs> something along Braveheart. those lines. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's you know I, what I meant. Uh, I, hope, I hope that movie ends the same way. <laughs> Freedom! <laughs> <laughs> be a great Disney movie. Um, all right. I'm trying to think of any fun final thoughts on this, but uh, like, I think we hit all the things I wanted to talk about through it. I mean, uh, you know, like I said, you didn't, you didn't, you know, nudge at anything that wasn't, uh, I think you're doing a great job. This is fun. And right. I am, I am grateful that we're recording this on Thursday because I get to, you know, start reading the next chapters again in a mere four days this time rather than six. So um, which chapters am I reading uh, before Tuesday then? So we can do the next three chapters, which are about the same word count as these three chapters were. Or if you want, we can kick it up to four, which will be slightly longer, um, but not terribly longer. Uh, How did you feel? Like, is this a good pace or do you want to increase it to another chapter? Um. I will leave that up to you. So like, you know, we, we managed to talk about three chapters for two and a half hours. Uh, of course, we also managed to do that yeah. with two, but we were setting the groundwork with that one. But like, it's not really about chapters, right? Like I could have talked for two hours about chapter one or chapter three, right? Like there was, there was literally enough in there for me to talk for two hours. Um, so it's really like, it's up to you about like, is, is four a better arc or was three the plan? And like, cause that fits better. Like whatever you think will work. Um, you know, word count, anything under, I don't know, 25,000 words is going to be totally palatable, you know, with the, uh, with the time span that we're doing this in. Um, it's really about like, it, like the reading time isn't the, the, the investment on this, right? Like it's, it's a bit, it's not negligible. I'm a pretty slow reader, but I have a great time doing it. Um, it's like what works best and only, you know, that. So, Oh, that's true. Um, I tell you I what, know. which one ends on the worst cliffhanger? Is it three or four? <laughs> I think four ends on a worst cliffhanger. All right, let's do three. 
See, the thing is, I really like ending on painful cliffhangers because I like hurting you. But <laughs> So we're trying to do this where we're nice to Stephen and ending on not a bad cliffhanger? Well, so when you offered me the choice of which would you like, the hard hit cliffhanger or not, um, yeah, I said, I said not. not. However, if four is a better fit, let's do four. And that, that don't, also works for me because it gets us through the book faster and I get to consume more of it. And Well, three is also a good place to end. Like, they're both good places to end. Four is just... Uh, more of a god damn it i want to go right into the next one right now sort of thing whereas with three you're like okay i can take a quick rest now and that's all right all right so take out my vote uh and just go with your gut <sighs> i don't want the episode to be like three hours so let's go with three chapters rather than four all right three three this time three and then we'll go for four next time well again don't don't bust it up by chapter count bust it up by stuff to talk about so um you know there'll be times yeah. where it's like this chapter is long enough to talk about and yeah it's only eight thousand words but trust me so you know definitely do- three then all right we're doing three i think you're right yes erring, are erring on the side until- of shortness given how long these are running sounds good yeah uh up to the end of chapter eight okay so we're reading chapters six seven and eight I'm going to start reading immediately, um, but I'll actually wait till we stop recording. So reminder that I am stoked to write a pitch meeting and I would love an excuse to do it. And so, you know, if you listen to the Beijing conspiracy, I do not shill for patrons, but this was like the best idea I've had for a Patreon thing ever. And I'm running with it and I'm hoping it'll be funny. And if it's not, uh, I'll write another one because I think it'd be funny. I, I, I you know, like my thing, I, I think uh, like I come off as like really obsessed with like Marvel or, you know, with pitch meetings because they kind of became my like niche for the podcast. Like they're funny. I don't know what obsessed means. I watch them all the day they come out, but like, I, I'm not like crazy, you know, about them. It's just like, A, it seems like a trope for me in podcast in these, in this form of podcasting and B, it sounds like a hilarious idea and I'm super into it. So, oh man, maybe if we do uh 25, we do a pitch meeting, we do 50. I write a Stefan sketch from SNL. That would be oh. way harder than a pitch meeting, but I have, I have longer to like think about pitch it. meetings more than Stefan sketches. Me too, but it would be a challenge. So, uh, yeah. All right. Pitch meetings it is. All right. So give me an excuse to write a pitch meeting. You know, y'all can it, it, just a buck. I, again, this is number of patrons, not dollars. So um, yeah. let's let's get you let's get us to, there. Yeah. Our homepage is uh, hpmorpodcast.com because this is still hosted on the old feed from that thing. Uh, and from there, you can get to our uh, Patreon site. You can also get to Scott Alexander's Patreon site and support him because he did all the hard work of actually writing this stuff, which is a lot of work. So uh, yeah, support him if you like this. And so you can support us as well if you also enjoyed this digression breakdown, you know, podcast that we're doing. Yes. Uh, but yeah, thank you for, again. And we need to make sure we plug Alexander's every time because uh, that's important. Um, Hell yeah. I hate to steal the phrase, but this is his world. We're just playing in it. So, all right. Exactly. Perfect. I uh, will see you in four days and see the audience in a week. Okay. Peace. <laughs>